Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, welcome in. We've got a Mitch Keller deal that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. That's going to be a big chunk of this show. Bob Pompiani, Steve Palazzolo, Ray Fittipaldo all set to join us too. Donnie Football, fresh off his two-hour sabbatical with Joe Starkey, uh, is back with us producing. Chris is to my right. We're at the Rivers, hanging out at 412-928-9370. That was Kyle Dubas. Uh, we reacted to a lot of what he said yesterday. We didn't get to all of it. The Penguins are in dire straits. Uh, Dubas painted a picture that he's close to selling, although he's going to let things play out a little bit here uh, between now and the deadline, March 8th. That clip was a uh, answer to a question by Josh Yoey about c- going in the rebuild route, just stripping it down. And Dubas said, we can't rebuild. Our star players, our core players are too good. And he named the big three. And then he included Eric Carlson in there. And that's actually what I want to start with. The Carlson experiment, we're more than halfway through his first season here. He's on pace for only 60 points a year after he had over 100 points in San Jose and won the Norris Trophy. It's been a colossal disappointment. My question for you guys and everyone else is, I get it. It would be hard to move him, but why why is he getting lumped in with the other three guys? They're all three-time Stanley Cup champions. I love the trade when it happened because we got rid of all our bad players for Eric Carlson. But as far as exploring ways to try to fix this and turn it around, I look at him more as a trade chip than someone who has to be here for the next few years. Am I nuts? I mean, that's what I loved about Jim Rutherford. If he made a bad deal, he would cut his losses and often quickly and just come right out and flat out admit, hey, I effed up. I made a bad move. My bad, Mia culpa. 
Hard to move Eric Carlson unless he wants to be moved. Well, that's what I would talk to him about, Chris. And what's to say Eric Carlson isn't going to go, you know what, no, it's been a bumpy first year, I admit. It's been a bad first year, I admit. I want to keep playing with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang. Do you think that that's an appealing thing right now? For him, I still think it is, yeah. Why? Because I still think he looks at the guy, the first guy I mentioned there, and says that guy's as good as ever. This franchise has a history of winning. I be, I'm, be, I'm Eric Carlson. I'm not going to have this kind of year two years in a row. Our power play is not going to look like this two I don't know. He doesn't look like and sound like a guy that's having fun or necessarily enjoying his time here when he talks and when they play. Well, if you have a no-movement clause on the guy, a full no-movement clause like he's got, it just limits your return too. I mean, I don't think the return matters. But if trading him is you're trying to fix what's wrong with the team, you're getting the salary off the books, but right. you want something in return. Also, what's to say Kyle Dubas should be trusted with all that salary off the books given the Ryan Graves move and others that he's made? Well, that's another problem separate from this. Okay, he's not going anywhere. He's as entrenched as Mike Sullivan is. So you're entrusting Kyle Dubas with maybe $11 million off no, the books. No, but I mean, that's just – but my point is, like, if, if that's your opinion – you, you move a guy and it creates cap space and you don't trust the GM, then any move we talk about is pointless if you think the GM's bad because you don't believe in him to turn it around or you don't believe in him to fix it, which would – I know, like, I'm admitting that I was wrong about Carlson. I thought he was going to be a huge – Have you given up on him fully? Team. But no, but I'm pretty – Chris, it doesn't look like it's going to work here for him. He's in his 30s. They're the oldest team in the NHL. I, I just I, – I don't, I don't see a fit. I don't think they let him play the way he wants to play. There seems to be some uh, d disagreement there. Sullivan's saying we haven't unlocked him. Okay, when are you going to unlock him? When, when do you actually put key in lock and turn it with him? I mean, better now than never? I don't, I don't know. But, y y you know, you're saying what's Dubas going to do with all that cap space? That's a, whole, that's a whole different ball of wax. Like, I know you liked the Dubas hire, at least somewhat, right? I mean, you were not totally against it. He's You've soured on him that much no, already? Did you like it or not? I don't remember what you liked. What you Dubas? The Dubas hire. I was cynical because he did not have great success in Toronto. Well, he didn't I have postseason success yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, that's what I define guys by. I was, I was dubious of Dubas when that move got made. Andrew Starkey joining me on the show today. Um, I mean, I thought he was a good hire. I thought he was going to build a regular season contender, which is what, you, you know, you've got to do if you're a Penguins general manager and then take your chances in the postseason with everybody at this current age. I'm not completely out on him yet, but it, it just is eye-opening that the younger players he was supposed to find to supplement his core pieces have dramatically underperformed, none more so than Graves, who's just a black hole on the blue line. Like, as, but you say, oh, Carlson's only on pace for 60 points. Their power plays a debacle. Expectations versus reality, he's been the worst. But Graves has been a worse actual hockey player. I understand he's that. He's a but void. If, but if you said to every NHL general manager, do you want Ryan Graves, the answer is emphatically no. He stinks. Eric Carlson is still one of the best offensive of the, defensemen how, in the NHL. Sure, how many and of I, the teams he's actually willing to go to are teams that would say yes on him? I don't know, but my point is, the point I'm trying to make here is, I don't, Dubas laid out the future of the team and included him with players that are iconic members of this team. He's not one. He I, included I him with, 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 with a group of untouchables. I agree with you. He, Those three guys are untouchables. Not, he should not put He's him not, in that category. Sid's not getting traded ever, 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 ever. And because Sid wants to play with Malkin and Latang till he retires, 
those guys aren't going anywhere either. So the, the die is cast on those three. What I'm taking e- exception with is is lumping in Eric Carlson no, he with those three there. guys. He doesn't belong with them. He doesn't. And, 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 there's and if a you t- want to get younger, either by hook or by crook, whether you think you can get a return for him because he's actually unhappy here and wishes he could go somewhere else and that, <clears throat> that no movement clause won't be as much of a problem or it's just getting the numbers off the books, the salary off the books, you can get younger getting rid of Eric Carlson. Well, that's, you can do that. that's what I mean. Like, we're talking about maybe realistic or feasible ways to help the Penguins turn this around and Mike Sullivan getting fired off the table for them. Uh, admitting that the Eric Carlson thing was a mistake and possibly shopping him is off the table too. And I'm saying the same thing I said about Sullivan yesterday. I, I don't think he's the right coach for this team. I don't think Eric Carlson is the right fit for this team either. If you brought in a new – what's easier to do or what's more likely, get rid of Eric Carlson, okay, in a deal, like you're saying. He's not untouchable. He gets dealt. Sullivan's still the coach. You get younger. Or – I know it's not possible. Get rid of Sullivan. Bring in new coach who's more Eric Carlson friendly. What gets you a better? I Penguins would want to see the latter more than the. So former. would I. We okay. already had our buddy Hoagie send that, but like this is where I guess that you and I are talking across purposes, which isn't always great for this business. But it's because I think we have two totally different approaches here. I just think that they are in in a horrible spot as a franchise because they don't want to do the things, or they don't know even what to do. They don't want to do the thing that we all agree now. I think around town, there's there's gathering agreement is probably most necessary which is fire the damn coach because you've done that many times to great effect over the years they have basically paralyzed themselves they're just they're so beholden to what their own internal impressions of of each other are like around that building sully's a great coach all these guys are great core pieces they can't move and Duba like what Dubas said yesterday that sticks with me the most is just the, the unadulterated praise he was willing to heap on almost everybody other than Todd Reardon, who we know is dead man walking in his role right now. They, doesn't it read to you, in a sense, like their big move is really going to be find a new power play specialist on the assistant coaching uh, ranks and see if that person can essentially make the same basic core pieces work? They're going to make tweaks around it. They're going to move guys around in the offseason. And whoever they, are, they bring in to replace Gensel, if they that's don't gonna, resign if him. If they don't resign him, they're going to find a way to, to take the $6 million you save there and turn it into fungible pieces. But don't you get the gathering sense that they are going to run this back largely the same next year with a new power play coach and hope that clicking at, say, 23% makes all the difference in the world for them. Well, it feels like they don't have a choice, Chris, because so many of the guys they have have no movement clauses, are uh, all-time great players with the organization. So the core nucleus of the team isn't changing. The coach isn't changing. The goalie isn't changing. So, yeah, Rost isn't going anywhere. Raquel isn't going anywhere unless, you know, Dubas is able to be a miracle worker with their contracts. That's... I, I, I wanted to bring up this Carlson point because I'm interested to hear how fans feel about how this has gone with him. And should there be should should, should there be um, motivation on their part to maybe just move on and say, yeah, I got it wrong. This was I, I, I was aggressive. I went for it. It didn't work. Let's try something different. 
because what we've seen for the first 50-plus games this season is a lot like what we watched for the last 82 games last year and a lot of what we've seen for the last six years since we won our last Stanley Cup. I'm going to do it. So we took a swing. It didn't work. Let's just try to get the contract off the books and and give us some some, um, flexibility here to do something different. I guess I'm not motivated to, to move him. I'm not motivated to move him yet for one reason. At his age, if he was a forward, skating ability is a big thing. I'd say he's going to start slowing down. That which makes him so special is going to go away. Well, but he's at an age, he plays a position where I think you can be better longer into your career. I, I, I don't have like some highfalutin, thoroughly researched position on this that informs what I'm about to say. Eric Carlson's reputation up until this year is enough that I want to see at least one more year of it. But that just, uh, don't take this personally, but that just seems to me like like more insanity stuff where you, 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 you have the same team and you expect different results over and over again. Well, they'll have a new power play coach. But, but seriously, though, I mean, what if, if you don't do something like that, what changes? What, what what's the big move? I would try to make moves swapping Gensel yeah. out for a younger wing. I would try That's to make. Be your I would try move. to make moves on the on the periphery compared to the core. But I mean, I say it with minimal conviction because I realize there is no like case other than Eric Carlson's always been good. Shouldn't it be easier to call this a blip on the radar of his career than some sort of permanent downturn or some sort of sign that it's just never going to work here? I, I say it with, like I said, I say it with minimal conviction. Because I would be hypocritical if I, I rip the Steelers and say it's definition of insanity. You're going to run it back largely the same and expect different results. That's what I'm basically saying the Penguins would do. I guess the best thing I can say is I've seen this team win three cups. I've seen them win two in a row. And I at least get hope from that. Yeah, but that would have been like Leighton Roethlisberger's career saying I watched him win a Super Bowl a number of years ago. He can do it again. I mean, that's I know that's not how you felt. That's not really how I felt at the end either. Like, I applaud them for going after Carlson. I think hockey's a more random sport, though, too, than football. Like, way, I know you have to win way more games, obviously, in the I, postseason, but I think it's an inherently I, more random sport. Well, yeah, sport. but you know what's not random? We've seen teams like this kind of age out. I kind of feel like I'm watching the Blackhawks and the and not the Kings because they've bounced back. Well, no, they, but but no, but they went in the toilet and had to rebuild. They did. You can say Blackhawks and Kings. They both did. Yeah, it might be happening here. I think what's what makes that very difficult to process is – the main cog in this whole machine, the core of the core, is still every bit the guy he's always looked like. And it's very hard to that, accept the idea that they might actually be swirling and circling the drain here because Crosby still looks That's so why I'm saying instead of treating Eric Carlson like he's one of the other three guys, at least, I don't know, entertain the possibility of getting rid of him, giving yourself that cap space, and trying something radically different again this offseason and see if that bold move or crazy move works. Because this one didn't. And I don't think it's going to get better over the next three years with him. We've had enough moments uh, throughout the season when, when we're at our best, we show that, that we can we can play with anybody and, and it just hasn't happened enough. So, uh, you know, we're looking for that in this next stretch here. And, and I think if the group didn't have the pedigree that it has or the history that it has, I wouldn't feel that they're owed they're owed that same latitude but i feel that this group you know in respecting them and and what they've accomplished in the past here and and how proud they are i just think that i think that that's the right and fair thing to do it's been outlined to them they know what's at stake we've got you know this you know, the last two remaining games on this homestand 
Western trip, and then we're back here again to to show where where we want to go. I just think that's the right and fair way to to handle it uh, with the group. Kyle Dubas. He said that he's not going to sell until it's right up against the deadline because this group is owed that. He respects them too much to start selling and start making those moves now. And maybe if they didn't have guys like Sidney Crosby on this team, he would be more inclined to pull the trigger on moves today. Uh, your reaction to that, Chris? If they didn't have guys that? like Sidney Crosby on the team, Kyle Dubas wouldn't be their GM right now, most likely. Uh, one... I, I don't know. I'm willing to see it through for like another week because he does have time until the trade deadline. It's not yet to the point where everybody knows his back is against the wall, but like even though I just said I'd probably run it back with Carlson, understanding that I was being hypocritical and that I was doing some definition of insanity stuff, it is absurd to me that he is publicly stating that what they did X number of years ago is informing some of his decision-making or rationale or process now in the present day. Kyle Dubas is the general manager of the 2023-24 Pittsburgh Penguins, who right now are how many points out of a playoff spot? Nine? Is it? Eight and nine, eight, I think. Eight or nine? Okay. I don't care what – I remember what Sidney Crosby did in 2009 when he was 21 uh, years old. Like, I remember what that team was like. I remember what they were like in 15-16 and 16-17. They're not that now. I, you just, when you try to deify your team's past and you don't move on from it, and or you aren't even willing to do things because you're so wrapped up in your own team's past or their, their resume or what they meant to a, a town, you get yourself into trouble. This is, what I, this is a different version of what I always harp on with the Steelers. They fetishized consistency and patience so much that now when it's less beneficial to them to be that way, they can't even get out of their own outmoded concepts because they're just married to them. Kyle Dubas is walking in here and saying, I'm sorry, the Penguins were too good in the past for me to deal with the present Penguins harshly, even if I feel it's, it, it's necessary to. I do also think, and I said this yesterday and I will reiterate this, I think Kyle Dubas is a pretty smart guy. I wonder how much of his sentiments in this regard are driven by ownership feeling that way and passing that on down to him. I'm not going to believe for one second that he is a GM being allowed to work more or less completely unencumbered here because I don't think that's the case. I, I'm just flabbergasted by, by that answer because you're telling me if they got a great offer on Gensel today, right now, this second, he would have to tell the team, sorry, I can't, it's a great deal, but let's wait until March 6th because I need to see you how we tell do ownership. Against- I needed to see how we do against Montreal and Philadelphia this week. It's over. I mean, the writing's on the wall. I mean, I I, I think he would have to go and try to do that deal with ownership and they'd tell him no, or you think he would actually be the one saying, no, I can't do it. Sorry. I'm just too married to this team's reputation and and stars. I'll take a man at his word right now that he thinks that he owes it to their great players and probably Mike Sullivan too, who he was uh, still singing the praises of. I think he thinks that they they deserve to go right up until the deadline, which I'm I'm sorry. If I got a great deal today for Gensel, I would not wait because who knows if that deal is going to be there in two days or five days or seven days. It might be. It probably will be, but I wouldn't want to risk it. I wouldn't want to chance it. I have a hard time 
I guess I have a hard time separating what he says with what I know ownership feels about this team and its core pieces and, and like the business model associated with keeping that core together. That's not to absolve him of blame. He's done a bad job. I think uh, I saw Crowley put a poll out today, letter grade for Kyle Dubas. What I don't would know, you say? D. It was the lowest grade Crowley allowed for. I don't know how. What were the poll results? C was winning, but I don't know how he was getting even a C for it. The guy has done a, a like severely below average Starkey's job. outside the box idea for the Penguins is to try to trade Jari. Because he's a good goaltender in the eyes of the rest of the NHL on a pretty affordable deal. That's I heard him, so I'm just reiterating. What do you think? Uh, it's a tough one because I think we all here know that or, or have a, an opinion of him as a playoff choke artist. Yep. And yet, if you feel like he really has turned a corner and that's just all random small sample size stuff with him and it's not indicative of a larger mental block in the postseason, then having a guy at that position who's only making $5 million actually seems like an asset. Plus, who the hell else is just going to go with Nedeljkovic? I mean, obviously, for the rest of this, this year, you could because where are you going right now? Uh, I struggle with it. it. You say outside the box, it's a good way to describe it because it really wasn't on my radar. But you've got goalie-hungry teams like New Jersey who are just I'd be salivating I'd be for it. I'd probably be open to it, yeah. I'd be open to it. Well, how, how could I – because how could I say, as a guy who has gone on the radio and written columns saying this guy basically just is terrible when it matters the most – how could I then say, wait a minute, wait, hold on, boys. He's played pretty well in spite of the team around him sucking out loud. We've got to keep him around here. That would be stupid of me. I still don't trust him in a big spot. I mean, I've got serious questions about the Penguins ever getting back to that moment right now. And in the regular season, he's been durable this year. He's been very solid. He, I think at least up until a couple days ago, was still leading the NHL in shutouts. Like, I give him a good grade. There's probably... Five or six guys on the roster, Pedersen's another one of them with Crosby and Gensel, who I would say have lived up to the expectations or exceeded them. He would be one of those players for me. But that still wouldn't prevent me from listening to offers on him. You notice, maybe it was because Dubas wasn't asked a pointed question about Jari yesterday, but he didn't lump him in with the untouchable players. It's hard to trade goaltenders at the deadline. You almost never see it, especially guys that still have years left on their contract. That's a rarity, mm-hmm. but uh, like I, I'm, I, I've done a 180 on them. Like I, I, I got to a, my breaking point where I just have de- have decided or come to the conclusion like why am I still holding out hope against all odds that this team is going to flip a switch and turn it on? They're not. They are what they are, and they've been this team now for years. So I think you've got to do something drastic to shake them out of it. They tried the Carlson thing that didn't work. So something like that would be on the table for me, too. I would love to be in Pittsburgh the rest of my career. Just being drafted in 2014, this is my this will be my 10th year in a Pirates organization. So it seems crazy to say that, but I don't know anything else. And Pirates fans have been great to me my whole career. So I would love to be here and I would love it. All right, let's get the ball rolling on this Mitch Keller extension talk. That news broke around 10 a.m. today, and uh, we've heard Starkey and uh, Donnie even got in the mix chiming in on this. Five years, $77 million for the Pirates' number one starter, at least until Paul Skeens gets up here with the big league team, Malsey. So your take, give me a reaction to this Keller deal. I mean, I think it's a very friendly deal for the Pirates here. Uh, so from a business of baseball perspective, I think this is a very good deal. 
Uh, you can go look this up on Fangraphs and other sites. I promise I won't get too much into the weeds here, but the war stat wins above replacement. He was a three-and-a-half win player on Fangraphs last year. They have tried to put a, a dollar value in the free agent market on what one win costs in that sense. Mm -hmm. About $8.5 million per win for guys who are projected to be two or better win players in a year, right? So Keller is one of them. So if you go by that valuation from like 2022, a guy like Keller would cost a team potentially upwards of 20 plus million dollars annually to bring in to bring in and get his services. So say he was a free agent pitcher, they're telling you that he would cost anywhere from on a 5-year deal 105 probably to 120 million dollars. They got him for 77. Uh, just business of baseball, it's 15.4 million dollars per year. That is a killer deal for the Pirates. All he has to do to make it a steal for them in terms of just what it costs to run a baseball team is be the pitcher he was last year. If he happens to become a better pitcher than he was last year, if he if his numbers uptick and he's down into the low threes as an ERA or mid threes even, and he's whatever, he's a five-win pitcher, the deal becomes like a massive steal for them. It's already a very good deal. It, it has the potential to be a ridiculously good deal on the line of McCutcheon signing the one he signed and then becoming the NL MVP. So this is a you say a huge praiseworthy moment then to, if you're the Pirates. They they you got pulled a great off a, pitcher to, a really good pitcher to sign this deal. They got a guy whose trajectory appears to be on the upward on the rise right now, who's coming off his best year to a number that frankly is below what he would significantly less than what he would command if he were a free agent right now. That's how I interpret this. Donnie, is this how you feel? Same I think I think it's a, I think it's a pretty fair deal um, on both ends. I mean, it looks like a bargain, I know, but the Pirates are giving a five-year deal to someone who, in reality, has put together one complete season, and that's if you take the back half of 2022 and piggyback that with the front half of 2023. Like he he fell off a little bit at the end of last year. The ERA still ended up being over four. I know, still had by his accounts the, the best season of his career but that's not saying a whole lot with what he did before that and you think I know that the term ace gets used with him I don't really see him that way now Paul Skeens that's somebody you look at and say that's a future ace that's somebody that other teams will fear to face once he gets up here and once he starts doing his thing so I, I think they looked at this as this could just be our number two pitcher that we're paying, and I think that's the way that they saw the deal. All right, so it sounds like you like it, but you're still a little bit skeptical of Ke Keller. Do I hear you right on that? Still not completely yeah, I mean, sold I, on the well, guy? Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that I, I, I dislike it, but I just think it's it's pretty fair on both ends. Like, Keller is really not a proven player. He's had two good halves of seasons that – just didn't happen to be in the same season out of the four or five that he's been here. So he got paid, but maybe not as much as he could have. And I, I, if it does end up that his career continues to go up, yeah, the Pirates got a bargain. But I don't, I don't blame them for setting that price. They didn't force the guy to sign his name either. So how old is he, Mulsey? He's 27. 27. He's going to be. He'll be 28, like right when the season, season starts. Okay, so this is going to be his early year April is his birthday season. I, um, I'm going to take it in a little different direction from you guys. Four one two nine two eight nine three seven zero. If you want to share your thoughts, and I know I'll probably get killed for this, but that's this. Honestly, when I heard the news, 
based on what happened yesterday, this is my this was my immediate reaction to what happened. Uh, the Pirates as an organization can't be nearly as bad as that article made them out to be for this guy to take this deal. Because I agree with you, Chris. If this is someone who's two years away from breaking the bank, as long as he doesn't like completely blow out his arm, if their organization is a joke, why would he want to be here? Like he just committed another five years of his life to this team, and look, that was a complete expose, takedown piece. They don't care about winning. They care about money. They don't develop players well. They don't prioritize winning. Team friendly implies that they got a bargain on the guy. It means that he, we just played the clip. He picked Pittsburgh. Like, you would think after reading that piece, that just, I read it and the way that it was presented, that guys would literally have one of those calendars where you tear away the date every day and think, I can't wait for that day to come where I get traded out of here. He volunteered to to stay, and it doesn't seem like the Pirates paid like a Pirates tax to keep him, you know? Like, hey, we want you. We know that we're not the most attractive uh, team, so we're going to give you a premium price. We're going to overpay you, so to speak, to stay with the team. They didn't do that. I don't think. They gave him below market value, and he accepted it. I think if a player takes below market value, they are it's an individual person-to-person decision. I think it's Mitch Keller's personality maybe to say, bird in the hand worth two in the bush i'll take 77 million as a hedge against maybe an arm injury in the future a hedge against any kind of severe injury that might limit my effectiveness or earning potential 77 million dollars is better than rolling the dice for a couple more years and i could also just have a downturn in performance sure but if it's baseball hell and you know you're going to be in demand why would you take that deal unless they absolutely knocked your socks off and blew you away with an offer, and they didn't do that. I don't think the piece yesterday called them baseball hell, though. In fact, guys who are quoted in the story don't seem like they're playing in baseball hell. They seemed like guys who are a little bit frustrated by things at times, but uh-huh. when the going was good here, they loved they loved it. They said the fans cared deeply. They, they Garrett Cole was quoted in the piece as saying, I desperately want them to be good again because it means so much to the people there. I did not pick up on baseball hell from that piece. I but did you on, pick up on a team that's going to do any serious winning anytime soon? I, uh, I don't think the article was this is a team on the come or this is an organization to watch. I think the I mean, article, I think the article allowed for the idea that if they have a healthy O'Neill Cruz, they could get back and, and catch some lightning in a bottle. But I, I just, I don't immediately draw the parallel that it's if if this was baseball hell, Mitch Keller is not going to sign it. There's a lot of factors that go into a guy signing a deal. They made him an offer that he and his agent pretty clearly felt was competitive enough that it wasn't a slap in the face and worth actually trading a few years of free agency for. I mean, that's the bottom line. And when he hits free agency, he will be 32 years old. He will have just or he'll have just pitched his age 32 season. If he's really good for the duration of this five-year deal and the Pirates are really good, he's going to get another major pitching deal, like a yeah. major contract. So as a first contract, it's not bad. Remember when McCutcheon signed that deal and we realized basically immediately he was outperforming it? Remember, I remember wondering, is this guy ever going to like see anything close to what his real value is in the major leagues financially? He ended up, what's McCutcheon made, like $130 million? He hasn't exactly wanted for money, right? Because like, a team like the Phillies swooped in and would pay him. You know, the, he went to the Giants. Uh, Keller, if he does well here for five years, is going to make like 
well into nine figures on another deal. It might only be like a four-year deal, but somebody on the open market would give him what? As a, as a true number two pitcher, Pony, with maybe, let's say, no history of injuries at that point, like no recent history, four years, $150 million, somebody might In give him. In his 30s? Early 30s. I don't know about that. Okay, three years, $100 million. I mean, Michael Waka just had a great year, and he got, what, two years, 30 Two million in his early thirties. I'm from saying Kansas if Keller, City. I'm saying if Keller would have better, basically overall history at that point, he would. I'm saying I'm I'm implying here he stacks together very good seasons and also hasn't Waka battled injuries too. Yeah, he had a. I mean, he had a Major, run of his yeah. career where he was bad, but Keller's had a run in his career where he's been. But bad. it was at the beginning. He would be on a a clear upward trajectory. I don't need to tell you what Michael Waka did at the beginning of his career yeah. because it involved shoving the baseball down the Pirates. Th- all right, so Mitch Keller on board for five more years. Two years left before free agency, so that would be, what, they ate up three years of free agency with him? That can't be right, can it? So he can't be a free agent until 2026. And the deal starts this year. So 24 and 25, he would have been under team control even without the deal. He has four had, years of service time. He would have been free agent eligible in 26. Yeah. Yes, they bought out multiple three years of his free agency. I'm, I'm actually shocked by that, to be honest with you. I'm more surprised by his end of it. I just think you're dealing with somebody that – here, I have a couple more thoughts, I guess, as to you know why would he sign the deal. $77 million is still $77 million, still $15 million a year. I think he probably feels – even though I know that story yesterday cited like a, a an independent pitching lab as helping him unlock his stuff and maybe a pitch mix. I get the sense that Keller feels like a loyalty to them because he feels like they stuck by him maybe during early career big struggles, right? I mean, can you think of anything it's possible, else? possible, but again, that actually speaks favorably or positively of an organization that I, like many, criticize a lot. I mean, they convinced their best pitcher, Keller, until Skeens is here, and their best hitter, Reynolds, to take deals that uh, prevent them from getting to free agency in their prime. I mean, Hayes is being prevented to some degree, too. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't – and he took an even cheaper deal than those two guys. But at least with Hayes, like – he hadn't really done anything yet in the major league, so he took the guaranteed I mean, he money. Was, he was so slick defensively, though. I think people felt like he was worth the money just based on his defense. But both of these guys, Reynolds and Keller, had been all-stars and elected to stay here because they thought the the offer from the Pirates was A, good enough, and B, the prospect of playing here for the duration of their careers was not like a, you know, unsettling or disgusting proposition well if I were Brian Reynolds I'd probably feel that way more than almost anybody on the roster they trade for me in a deal that sends their most beloved player away I come up through their system and blossom here into a I think a very well-liked player he keeps to himself does Brian Reynolds seem like a guy that's desperate for the spotlight of New York or LA no not really I think Brian Brian Reynolds might be like overwhelmed by the spotlight of Toronto Ohio so but I, I think most people are wired where they want to get the most money and they want to maximize their career earnings. 
I think most they are, people. I think most they are athletes. too. I think they are too, but I think in this case we're talking about two guys. The Hayes one's almost the most surprising just because you know his family. Obviously, his dad played in the bigs. His family's very involved and very active in his career. I would have thought he would be the least likely to take that sort of deal, but all three of them did. And I will also say that the Hayes deal has the greatest chance if this John Nunnally stuff, which is going to continue on a private basis, if that keeps working for him, that has the chance to be by far the biggest steal of the three for them. Yeah, because he's making, what, like 8 or $9 million Probably, a year? If he hits like 20, 20 to 22 home runs and hits 285 and plays the defense he plays and he's making that money, that's going to be comedy as far as what he's making relative to his peers at a similar level of production. It's going to be absurd. Uh, only four pitchers in free agency have gotten more total dollars than the deal that Keller just signed with the Pirates. Otani, Yamamoto, the other Japanese import, yep. Aaron Nola, okay. who re-signed with the Phillies, and then Eduardo Rodriguez, who went from Detroit to Arizona. Now Snell is still out there. And Montgomery are still out there, so those guys probably will get better deals. But even even when compared to the open market spending, the Pirates did something that puts that deal on the upper echelon of things. I mean, I'm, I will give them credit for this. I thought the deal was mostly dead in the water. Uh, we had heard reports that they were close from Mackey during last, I think last season even, in the season. And then we had heard in the offseason still keep the faith, but then it had seemed like Jason had turned a little bit and said, now I, you know, I'm putting words maybe in Jason's mouth here, but I remember him thinking, yeah, I thought it would be done by now. Who knows? I, like I'm assuming a lot of other people said, well, that, that's a bad sign for them. I will give them credit for getting a deal done. Pitcher here, unless they would trade him in the latter part of this deal, for several more years than I thought he would be. I don't think any player has made, uh, even on an annual basis, more money than they're about to play to pay Keller in team history. Because Reynolds, I Chapman think... Chapman is the richest deal to an outside free agent in terms of annual value because it's one it's, year, $10.5 yeah, million. Yeah, it's still not 15.4. They never had to pay Burnett all of his Yankees salary. Nope. Liriano was 3-39. and 39. That's 13. Uh, I believe it is the highest annual. Reynolds is, played. what, 15 per later in the deal? I think it goes Fair, up to 15 Later, million. but right this second, I don't think anybody's higher than Keller. And yet again, I will point out it is still a bargain relative to what he would make on the open. If he hit the open market this second, he would I, make more, likely make look, more. I'm going to come off as a Pirates apologist again, but that's just how I feel in this situation. When the other teams in town make deals like that, they get praised for it. If a G, if Omar, the con artist uh, gifs go out, look at the deal he hoodwinked this guy into. You know, the Penguins fleece a guy or convince someone to, to play for less than they're worth. Teams get credit in salary cap sports. Here it's almost like I think fans want the Pirates to get ripped off in a deal. That way they can say, oh, my God, look at the money that they spent. I mean, I've had a thought for a long time that, um, I don't know, I guess I'm coming off anti-Pirates then if you feel like you're coming off. No, too. I'm, not, I'm not saying that I you're. Mean, I, I'm giving them praise for getting a deal done that I think is very favorable to them. And I, that doesn't what? mean that it's like a jip for the player. He still gets $15 million a year. Um. I would, I would just say that a long-held belief of mine is a dream for many Pirates fans is they ink like a $200 million extension for a player. Best scenario, he plays very well, and that looks like a great win-win for both sides. Next best scenario, he does suck, but at least you saw them do it. So 
It would make them better if they did this because they'd have one extra really good pitcher. But if they had signed Sonny Gray to this deal and he comes in as a free agent and he signs a five-year, $77 million deal, but that eliminates a Keller extension. He's done. He's going to leave in two years. Yep. If they bring in somebody from the outside and give them that kind of money, people are ecstatic. But there's like le- there's there's less because it's your own guy. Yeah, there's less credit given now to I think keeping your own players. All right, well I will say this: I think the next step that is a fair thing to ask of them and want of them is that you do bring in players from the outside and supplement like this. That it's because somebody pointed this out to me this morning, and I think I, I mean you're right. To be it, should, ta- it, it shouldn't be one or the other. Well, they, it should be both. But one person pointed out to me that you shouldn't be that shocked that they got this done. They have proven themselves good at getting these deals done. McCutcheon's the first major one. They got Marte locked up to a pretty good deal. Remember when Tabata was thought of amusingly as a piece of their future? Yep. They locked him up to a deal that like people wanted his agent fired in the Players Association because <laughs> they felt it was too friendly to the team. It was an absurd deal. Uh, they got the Reynolds deal done. They've gotten a Hayes deal done. Now they get a Keller deal done. This really has not been their major issue. Garrett Cole's an exception. Obviously, that's different. He walked. They couldn't find a way to do something with him. Uh, but they have gotten deals done with guys like this put them under decent amounts of team control at pretty team-friendly prices before. No pitchers, though. Sure, this is the first, the first one. Sure, it's the first pitcher, and they used to use, hey, we have the market and efficiency cornered, we do defensive shifting, we get these guys to throw ground balls, etc. But they, they have a history of having done this, and I do think the next step in saying, look, we are going to be a competitive team in word and in, in deed and in everything is to try to do some deals like this with outside free agents 50 minute mark is brought to you by south hills chrysler dodge sheep ram and peters it is a thursday that means we have total request thursday at 5 30 you pick the topic your four choices today big ben justin fields nil cocaine and right now with more than 55 percent of the vote cocaine Blowing out whatever the pun intended there, whatever the hot NIL topic is, which many hosts have made a significant deal of the NIL situation in college sports. Uh, Maybe our listeners very fatigued about NIL talk, having heard so much of it in recent months. Justin Fields, always a popular one, is in second, and Big Ben. We've put him in the rearview mirror. He only has eleven and a half percent of the vote. Did you specify Big Ben football player and not Big Ben London Monument? Did not. Fan Hotline is presented by Sullivan Super Service, Pittsburgh's trusted plumbing and HVAC provider for over 50 years. Breaking NFL news, the Chiefs have signed punter Matt Ariza, the former uh, San Diego State punter who was accused of uh, that, I think it was like a group rape situation while he was in college when the allegations came out. He was immediately cut by the Bills. He didn't end up facing any criminal charges. There was a lawsuit involved. There was a settlement. And uh, the Chiefs, Tommy Townsend, their punter in the Super Bowl, who's been there for a while as a free agent. So they're going to roll the dice on Ariza, who had a huge leg in college. They called him Punt God. And he was with the Bills for a cup of coffee until uh, all of this came out from his college days. Uh, I guess from the Steelers' perspective, 
that makes the Chiefs punter now available. And, Donnie, look up his numbers. I think he was good last year. He was. Townsend. You're going to get a little more expensive. Um, definitely an upgrade over Harvin. Ariza would have been an upgrade over Harvin. You would have been an upgrade over Harvin. Yeah. But, you know, the Chiefs. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. You can afford to do something like this. They're, they're, they're untouchable. They've won two Super Bowls. They'll take the negative PR hit for a day or two and then move on. I mean, at this point in the news cycle, it's yeah, it's going to be um, probably today maybe tomorrow and then yeah i think it's going to be largely forgotten about and you know what where is a punter more anonymous than in kansas city right okay bob Papiani joins us right now i've been told he's hitting golf balls where are you bob yep at the neville island uh, dome down here which is filled with people people are anxious i'm watching uh my friend Kanan here he has a thing called a rap soda which you know tracks all your your numbers so chris you might want to invest in that it's a pretty good device what do you think they're paying me here, Bob? Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you could get a lot of good golf deals done on the golf course, business deals, you know. I mean, it's only to Bob, your Bob, what club's really working for you today? What club is feeling good? Uh, you know, I f- all of them. That's unusual for me to say that, but actually all of them. Uh, when you go and hit balls like this and you hit them and you're hitting every club well, does it actually make you, are you like me, and do you feel worse going onto a golf course the next time because you're like, there's no way it'll be this good? Because that's how brain-damaged I am about the sport, Bob. <laughs> no, not until I hit the first bad shot, then that then that creeps in. But, no, I feel like I want to play right now. I mean, it's Bob, when, give go, the, when, you, when you practice enough, it makes a difference. Bob, give the Mitch Keller deal a grade. 
Uh, I give it an A. I mean, he's he's the one guy who I'm glad they decided to sign, and I think it's a fair deal for both. The one thing about them, um, that they make what looks like good franchise uh, deals. You know, the one for Hayes, the one for Reynolds, and now this one. Um, you know, it's they have money to spend, and they should spend it, so I'm glad they're doing that at least. But I would also supplement. There's a lot more spending that they should be doing. Bob, do you think he's a true number one starter? What do you think, Mitch? Kell- in a good rotation, what number in your rotation is a Mitch Keller? So that's a good question, there, Chris, because I don't think he's a number one, but I do think he's a he's a two or three on good staffs. But here he would be, and they need him. They need they, they need him, but they also need you know Skeens eventually by the end of this year, so they have a one two, and then um, hopefully some of these other guys in the system you know, step up. They have to have that. Although I do like, you know, for short term, the guys they brought in um, just because they've had experience doing it. And, and listen, the way they're they're set up, you just got to get to the sixth inning in most cases and you should be okay, I guess. Bob, win total for the Pirates that just pops into your head right now on February 22nd. Well, Kevin Shields, who's the pro down here, came up to me and said, the best bet you're going to get is Pirates and over. And he, he, he keeps an eye on this stuff. So I'm going to go with what he says. Um, because he's normally right in whatever wagers he makes. So yes, I would but say give over. us a number of wins. Give us a number oh. of wins for them this year. I mean, I, I don't know. I just hope they're competitive until the end. Whether Come on, throw one out there, this, Bob. This just give division. us a number. All right, 82. How about that? 82 and 80. And you're asking me now, but they haven't even completed their roster. I'm just saying that division doesn't look all that great, to be honest. They should be able to navigate through it. I don't know what St. Louis is going to be like. I looked at their roster the other day. Um, that doesn't jump out on me, although they have some names. What, let me you... tell you what St. Louis is going to be like, Bob. After one bad down year, they're going to have a <laughs> bunch of guys you never heard of who start the season in Memphis and then end up collectively hitting uh, 305. All of them hit 15 to 20 home runs. They play flawless fundamental baseball and win 97 games. That's what St. Louis is going to do. Well, especially since the Pirates finished ahead of them for the first time last year. So, yeah, I get that. But you really don't know based on what they have. I still have you know, questions about their pitching. I think a lot of teams in that division have questions about their pitching. So, you know, uh, their bullpen is good. The Pirates' strength is that, it looks like. So if they can get games into that situation, I still have major concerns about what they're going to do with Henry Davis. They need to figure it out, and his bat has to play this year for sure. Bob, if Mason Rudolph is not the Steelers' number two quarterback when they get to Latrobe, who is? If he's not the number two. Ah, Yep. You know, that's, that's, I hate to say Ryan Tannehill, but I'm tempted to say that just because I look around, although there's some other guys out there, um, you know, who, who, who was the guy who was the backup for years? Uh, can't, his name escapes me right now. I was with Indy recently. Uh, and Cleveland. Minshew. Yeah, Gardner oh, Minshew. Or Brissett, too, mm-hmm. both. But Brissett's a guy that I see as a backup because I don't know that he would uh, come in here immediately. Um, be ahead of Pickett, and for some reason they seem to want that scenario. So um, I think there's less and less of a chance. I see Atlanta now has moved ahead of the Steelers in terms of betting odds for Justin Fields. Uh, I think that would be a good fit for Atlanta, and you know they have some nice weapons down there, and they, they probably will add on in that department. More important quality for a Steelers backup quarterback to have can help Kenny Pickett develop as like a sage veteran or can provide real competition and come in and win you games if Pickett falters? Well, that's the second is my choice. I, I just, I think it's, you know, I don't care what 
if you're if you're a quarterback in this league, you should be challenged every year, unless you're an elite one who has an established starting job wrapped up every year. If not, then you should be forced to, to play um, and and let the chips fall where they may. So I would prefer somebody who can really come in and compete. And I'm still of the belief, maybe this is old school, or that that brings up the betterment in both players going for. You can't be worried about somebody's psyche, and if you are, then you really have concerns that go beyond playing ability. More likely uh, that the Steelers use a second-round pick on a quarterback or trade a second-round pick for Fields. More likely that they probably take one. I don't think that that trade's going to happen. So, And I also, I've heard now that the, the cost may be a little higher for Fields, depending on how many people are involved. So, uh, again, if you're Fields, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I told you guys that. But to me, if he comes here, he has to start. That's the only way I would you know, bring him in here. Um, because you have to make a quick determination about what you think and what you want to pay him in the future. So I, if he comes here, he has to start. But that's why I don't think he will come here. All right, Bob, we'll let you get back to Chipping. Hold on, Bob, I got one more for you. Charlie Woods, Tigers kid, went out and tried to qualify for a PGA Tour event, shot an 86, he's 15. Makes sense that he wouldn't exactly thrive out there yet. Percentage chance Bob Pompiani's next round of golf will be better than that 86? Uh, A good percentage. I I would say close to 90%. It'll be better than an 86. Of course, you're not asking me where I'm going to play that round. But that conversation was down here with all these guys at this uh, the Neville Island Dome about Charlie Woods. Now, you can make the, the case that this is good experience for him or also it's just completely overwhelming for him. He's only 15. I think I know what Tiger Woods is doing. He's trying to get him, you know, uh, acclimated to this sort of pressure. But I wouldn't have expected anything better than, you know, I was thinking 80 would be a good score. So that that's pretty much – but I'll beat that score, Chris. And maybe you can come along and we can play and you can verify it. All right, the nightly sports call tonight. Boom. It'll have Richie Walsh at ten thirty-five with Chris, and then Sunday, the uh, number one Cochran Sports Showdown on Channel Two. Check it out with Bob. Thanks, Bob. We'll talk next week. All right, guys. You have a good day. Steelers insiders keep pushing one Steelers trade. We'll tell you what that is in about fifteen minutes. But right now, it's time for PM Team Power Rankings, Donnie. With the news of Mitch Keller inking a deal, ranking the top five Pirates starting pitchers of his lifetime. So this one was tough whenever you got to numbers four and five, but that's where I'm going to start because I know we always go five to one. Uh, For me, the, the one through three, the names were at least pretty easy. It just came down to where you position those, but after that, it kind of fell off a cliff. Uh, and when I mean that, it, it really fell off a cliff when you go from Uh-oh. three to then four and five. Uh, but we'll start with number five. Uh, I teetered around with a few different names here, but I'm going to go with Jamison Ty on at number five. Uh, only four years in Pittsburgh. Pretty injury riddled, but he he did he did do some good things. Like he he looked like a legitimate starting pitcher, and I know that for a while in my lifetime. I didn't always have that. It just happened to come right after and on the heels of the Pirates having their best seasons of my lifetime because he got here in 2016, so the expectation at that time a bit higher. But you throw him in the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, he would have looked like a star in my eyes. So I go with Ty on at number five. Uh, career ERA of 3.67 with the Buccos. Uh 
had a shutout, good. had a shutout to his ledger in 2018. That was his best year, uh, 3.2 ERA and a 14 and 10 record. Uh, number four, another funny name. I can't believe that I'm actually going to put this name on my list. Kip Wells <laughs> at number four. And what he did in 02 and 03 kind of jumped out to me. He was with the Pirates for five seasons. But in the middle of the steroid era, Kip Wells on the 02 and 03 Pittsburgh Pirates, he put together seasons with ERAs in the mid threes. And in 03, it was 3.28. He also hit one of the longest home runs in PNC Park. Yes, he did. An absolute bomb. What, over the batter's eye, I think. Like, one of the yep. first years yeah. that the park was... He, he, it was like a 460-foot home run out of nowhere. I, I, I cannot believe that the name Band Kip the Wells H, was on this list, but he found himself at number four. That's That kind of paints a picture right there for uh, All right. some of the some of the pickings you have here. I have a fi- I want to hear three, two, and one because I have a feeling based on looking at Pony and knowing what's going through my own head, there's going to be some uh, extended discussion about your choices so far. Go ahead, Donnie. Uh, A.J. Burnett, number three, um, only spent three years as a Pirate. It was two years, then one year he came back in 2015. Uh, If you ask me my favorite starting pitchers of my lifetime, this dude is number one. It's this guy and it's Oliver Perez as my one and two (laughs) favorites. Uh, Oliver Perez, mainly because of MVP Baseball 2005. A.J. Burnett, because this dude was a certified badass. He came in here in 2012. He completely changed the attitude. He flipped the script of the Pirates' rotation. It it seemed like even if he wasn't the best guy, and he was still pretty good. I mean, his ERA with the Pirates was always at least uh, mid-threes or lower. Uh, In his last year, it was 3.18. He, cha- he made everybody else in that rotation have an edge to them that made them a better pitcher. Like, I, I you think of someone like Jeff Locke. Innocent-looking Jeff Locke was... Jeff Locke. What was an, an all-star one year. And I think in large part, thanks to A.J. Burnett. So he's my number three. Number two, I'm going with Frankie Liriano. Uh, thought pretty hard about putting him at number one. Uh, five seasons in Pittsburgh for Liriano. He had that return in, in 2019 as well. Uh, career ERA with the Pirates, 3.65. Uh, he won the first playoff game that I ever got to witness the Pirates play, and that certainly holds a special place in my heart. And not only did he win it, he was pretty dominant in that game. I know the, the Buccos had some memorable home runs in that game. I think sometimes we forget – just how the good, Reds couldn't touch him. Yeah, how good Liriano was uh, against the Reds in that game. So Liriano gets my number two spot, and that does leave Garrett Cole for number one. Uh, only five years here, but he burst right onto the scene. He was good as a rookie. 19 starts. His ERA was 3.22. He was on those playoff teams in 13, 14, and 15. I know the playoffs weren't always his best moments, and I know that he wasn't here all that long. We wish the guy was still here. It was just the reality of baseball, though, that we knew he was going to move on, and it was likely going to be the Yankees, even though he got traded to the Astros in the middle of that, but he eventually did end up with the Yankees, and that's where 
he's won a Cy Young at. But in 2015, we've talked about his season here before. He was phenomenal. I think in most seasons, he's either one or two for the Cy Young. I want to say he finished fifth. But if anybody pulls up what the Cy Young voting was like in 2015, there were just a, some absurd, absurd seasons. Yep. Bumgarner, I think, was in there. 19-8 and eight with a 2.6 ERA in 32 starts, over 200 innings, over 200 strikeouts. Like, he was a dominant pitcher in 2015. And I know it didn't go out in the best way possible. He had his worst season as a Pirate uh, in his last year in 2017. But the guy was an absolute stud. And he, I think for me, maybe not in Pittsburgh, he lived up to that number one pick uh, threshold. But we, we knew big things were coming for this guy. All right, I have two editorial comments on your list. So recap it for people who just might have popped in in the middle, Donnie. You were asked to rank in your lifetime, 1996 to present, the five best Pirates starting pitchers in order 5-1. to one. Yeah, Jamison Tyon at number five, Kip Wells at number four, A.J. Burnett. <laughs> I can't get over that one. A.J. Burnett, number three, Francisco Liriano, number two, and Garrett Cole, number one. Okay. So I have, I have two editorial comments on this. Uh, the one is, and this is the less inflammatory one, I understand that Garrett Cole might have had the best overall individual season of any of those top three guys. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, Elle King, At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. I would have put Liriano at number one. I, 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 thought, I those, thought a lot about that, like flipping those when, two. When I watch those teams play for those three years, especially 13, where you were still like getting over the shock of, oh, my God, this is a really good baseball team. Nobody instilled more confidence in me when they were on the mound than Liriano. There were times as badass as those Cardinals teams were, he'd go into St. Louis, and they, they just couldn't even breathe on the mm-hmm. baseball there. I mean, he made really good hitters look terrible, and I loved watching him pitch because it was never overpowering, but guys just couldn't touch him. The other and perhaps more controversial uh, end of this is, I would keep Jamison Tyone at number five. I would take Kip Wells, though, and fire him into the sun for this list's purposes. And I, I would was in- shocked when I heard that. I know. Name. I know. And I think Pony knows me pretty well, Donnie. And so I think he could probably guess who it is that I'm going to slot in at number four here. This man made a total of 11 starts for the Pirates in his entire Pirates career. They were 11 of the best pitch games I've ever seen. I would put, I swear to God, Jay Happ in here at number cool. four. Seven and two, 185 ERA, virtually unhittable from the second they acquired him. I think one of his two I didn't lo- even think about him. I think one of his two losses was to Arietta when Arietta was basically Bob Gibson and then some down the stretch. I maintain this. They might not have won because Jake Arietta was unhittable. They should have started the matchup, him. The matchup I wanted to see in the wild card game was Big J Hap 
taking the ball against Jake Arietta. I swear to God, I'd put him I, number four. I, I don't. I don't like Wells either. But honestly, like the names that come to my mind to replace him, Josh Fogg, are not Paul Mahalam, yeah, Paul about, Mahalam, Zach Duke, Francisco Cordova. How about Esteban Loiza? Uh, not that, really. His no, best he, work came later. Yeah, Jason Schmidt, John Lieber. John Lieber could be one. Chris Benson. Uh, Lieber Lieber had a nice couple of years there, Donnie. That in first Donnie's, year in Donnie's years, ninety six. Yeah, he was decent. The, I I think Liriano's the best pitcher of the top three, though, for the time here. All right, I I I, I would agree with Donnie though. I would go Cole Liriano Burnett. I actually think he got the top three right. What about Jay Happ? What about Big Jay Happ? I like that I love as a wild card. I, would, I, I would also have put him fifth. I also forgot. I I was looking back. I know he was. This guy was only here for a season two, and he got crushed in the. The one wild card game. I forgot how solid of a year that uh, Edinson Volquez had. Don't you mean Edinson Volquez (laughs) in Liriano? I still sort of feel like the Deontay Johnson one year left on his deal thing. Could he be a trade candidate that that would be taking a big piece away from this offense that you need to take a a jump next year but you've got free agency you've got draft picks to use that's just something i'm wondering in the back of my head with some of the stuff that went on with deontay this year seems like there's been a little bit more friction with him in the organization than in years past that that would be sort of one area where i'm like okay if a receiver does become a higher draft priority for the steelers maybe that would be why 50-minute mark is brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, Route 19, Peters Township. We're live with the Rivers, where you will, uh, if you're lucky enough, see Grand Funk Railroad a month from today, March 22nd, here at the Event Center. They're going to pack the place in. Loaded. Stuffed to the gills. Sardines in there. So many people are ecstatic to see. Uh, a band that once had Heinz Field jumping for Ribfest, Grand Funk Railroad. Very memorable moment in that stadium's history, not too far away from where we are right now. I miss being able to go down to Ribfest, I do. That's a true story. Kids got in the way of that? It's hard to take Lennox down there and, and Ace down there. I mean, Ace would stuff his face full of ribs. He wouldn't even know what he was eating, but he would. You know what Ribfest is, though. It's a bacchanalia. Ribs. Beer, Grand Funk Railroad. Sounds almost too good to be true. I got to be honest with you. When I think of Ribfest, I don't know about you. One name instantly pops into my head. Edmund Nelson. Yes, there he is. He might be here. Edmund Nelson. I saw him over here at the Rivers. I think maybe two weeks ago when we came down here, uh, and I recognized him right away. But I was afraid to go up to him and say hi. Why? He knows who you are. I know, but I think we like. I used to try to get him to come on during the preseason every year because I missed Edmund on TV. And he was... And I think he got sick of us begging for him to come on. So He kind of pulled a... Well, yeah, I mean, it happens. He's... What does it say, though, that he is definitely the most... Uh, the person most identifiable with Ribfest? Remember... He just, he'd get those big plates of ribs, and Bob would be trying to, like, get into the well, game a little bit what he had seen. And well, he was go, synony- hold on, Bob. He was synonymous with ribs. And then I think one of those... Um, Pittsburgh sports parody uh, Twitter accounts made a fake Channel 2 graphic that said coming up at halftime, Edmund Nelson has sex with ribs or something like that. All-timer, all-time job. 
I don't know which account did that. I'd like to give them credit for it, but it looked exactly like the CBS graphic, too. Yeah, I, I remember like questioning. I, I questioned our, our guy, JB, up. Jared Barton, about it. He said, no, it's fake. Was very upset to hear that. Uh, he just, I think he was he was obviously being paid to, among other things, like comment on some of the roster battles that might have been happening. He'd feel Pomp would be ready to team up, and he'd just have a plate of delicious-looking ribs, and I couldn't really blame him for going, hold on, Bob, like, Let's hold on. Let's hold off on the third down back here. Let's try these delicious ribs. Uh, proof that advertising works because when I saw him do that, it would make me want to eat I ribs know. and go to Rib Fest. I know, he man. enjoyed him so much. Uh, 5.30, total request Thursday. What do you want us to talk about? Right now, cocaine. The leader in the clubhouse at 56% beating Justin Fields, Big Ben, and NIL. Only 5.7%. NIL is just vote. getting taken to the cleaners. I keep hearing what a big topic it is. In sports today, and apparently no one wants to hear us talk about it. They'd rather hear us discuss uh, an illegal drug at 5.30. Ray Fittipaldo in the 5 o'clock hour, too. I want to ask him about what we just heard from Batco, who we like having on the show, and he does a really good job. Many of these Steelers writers seem to want to shy away from, like, this wild speculation and coming up with, like, fun ideas and kind of these outside-the-box, zany uh, possibilities for them. But it just seems like one of the things that many of them agree on right now, early in this offseason, is that a Deontay Johnson trade is not a bad idea and, and also something that the Steelers' history would tell you that they would do, that it's something that is in their DNA, that they know when to get rid of a receiver and then draft or bring in his replacement. There's a reason why, other than Johnson, I think Antonio Brown and Heinz Ward are the only two wide receivers in the Ben Roethlisberger era and onward that have received a second contract from the team. They are. They know when to get out of a deal, player becomes too expensive, we're good at drafting receivers, we can get his replacement. And that seems to be the... um, the evidence that is being used by people like Brian to suggest that this is very much on the table with the Steelers this offseason. It's it, one thing for us to kind of throw it out there, but like the conservative insiders seem to want to speak this into existence with a Deontay Johnson Maybe we deal. talk about it and then they start thinking more about it and say, you know, those wild and zany radio guys have a point. Um, I also think that a subplot or a, one of the other aspects of the should-they-trade-Deontay conversation is sort of the tacit acknowledgement from those very same insider types that there's really only enough room for one football, for one wide receiver in an Arthur Smith offense, that it's so running back heavy that it prioritizes the tight ends to such a degree, multiple that is, not just Fryermuth, but presumably Mount Washington, that really you need George Pickens as the alpha dog and then you need just a kind of cast behind him. I know Corey Davis had some good numbers while A.J. Brown was there, but they weren't, like, overwhelming, especially since Corey Davis was a top-five pick. Mm-hmm. A.J. Brown was the man. Corey Davis was a solid second. But it just feels to me like when people talk about trading Deontay, they aren't doing it in just a vacuum of, oh, good, sound football move. They're saying if you keep both of them on the roster next year, one of them's going to be unhappy because of the very nature of how Arthur Smith likes to call offense. And 
you've got a player in Johnson who's going to be going into his contract year. So he's going to be really agitated wanting to make sure the numbers are there so when he hits the open market, somebody is willing to back up the truck. Yep, and I think that that colors the opinion of the insiders too because they're around Johnson every day. They know what his personality's like. They saw the way he acted and moped around this year and some of the things that he did, uh, not going after that loose ball in Cincinnati, celebrating a touchdown when they're getting blown out, uh, coming out. And you know, you've got guys who, when they talked about the lack of leadership and the way that this team was not in any way uh, similar to the, the great Steelers teams from 10 or 15 years ago, they would usually it seemed like they were talking about the two wide receivers, Pickens and Johnson as the players that did not heed Mike Tomlin's message and uh, were disruptive, disgruntled players. So, look, I was thinking about this before the show because you said yesterday, you know, you put out there just flippantly, could they trade him to the Chiefs for a second-round pick? Coming off the season that Johnson had, it's... 51 catches, 717 yards, and five touchdowns. Making pick for him, Chris. Not even the 95th pick, which I don't. is practically a fourth. I don't. And you don't think of Omar Khan shrewd that he, he wouldn't say this to his own players. You don't think he says to Brett Veach, hey, Brett, his numbers stunk because look at our quarterbacking situation. The guy when he had well, he was hurt Ro- too. The guy when he had Ben Roethlisberger was a thousand plus yard receiver and was very, was highly productive. He could also. I'm. I'm not. I understand like that. Brett Veach's response would be the numbers are the numbers, and then Omar Khan would say, "Hey, put on the tape. Is he open or is he not but, open on every play?" Right. But if you're the Chiefs, and you prove that you don't need Tyree Kill to win Super Bowls, do you want to give up a pretty good pick for somebody who right now does not have the best reputation around the NFL and is going to want to put up his numbers? I mean, how bad is his contract? reputation around the league? Seriously. Because if a lot of it is a function of was I getting the ball enough, basically, I'm frustrated with my quarterback play, I don't know how other teams might view him. They might just say, bring, if, for example, if you're the Chiefs, bring him in. He's Mr. Like, he's Mr. Reliable. Yeah, but I think there's a – Chris, I think there's a difference between, okay, we'll get him into our we'll get him into our facility and he'll have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid calling plays and he'll put up numbers and some of the baggage that comes with him and his – demands to put up numbers and stats we'll deal with that if we're giving up a fourth or more fifth of round a, pick mm. when you're talking about a second or third that's a different story i think when you're talking about the 95th pick in the draft for deontay johnson and the steelers are covering some of the money they have to eat it and it's only 10 million dollars which is less than you paid mvs i, I think it would be uh, okay let me rational for them. let me ask you this question do you think that deontay johnson's a better receiver than brandon cooks i think he's much closer than you would suggest but do you think he's even. better? I think they're almost the same player. Okay, so they're fair enough. I'll, I'll, for the sake of argument, I'll agree with you on that. Okay, Cooks got traded from Houston to Dallas, with two years left on his deal last offseason, coming off a year where he put up almost similar numbers in Houston's offense because they had the same problem as the Steelers. They didn't get good quarterback play before uh-huh. Stroud showed up. Dallas gave up a fifth and sixth round pick for him, which is if you combine them into one pick, maybe a fourth. I mean, I can't explain that one. And they got two years of them. I, I can't explain that one other than to say Brandon Cooks gets traded so much that maybe there's just a usually he was, effect. For years he was getting traded for firsts. He I was know. getting traded for top picks. I still think you can get the 95th pick at bare minimum for him. 
Like, and I think the Chiefs would be willing to court the headache for a guy that, frankly, has proven a lot more in the NFL than Kadarius Tony. Well, I was just, just going to ask you. With. Maybe they've learned their lesson. But do from they think the Deontay's? Do they think Deontay's a headache compared to him? Not only was we, we talk about Deontay uh, Johnson having some drops, especially two years ago, not not as much this past year. Kadarius Tony had like one game where he had a season's worth of drops. He was dropping the ball directly into oh, Brian Branch's they, hands. They led the league in drops during the regular season, and then magically once the playoffs started, everybody caught every ball. It was insane. It was like your Jamar Chase theory that he was dropping balls in his rookie preseason on uh, purpose to dummy the rest of the league into thinking he stunk. No, I just I think that they would view Deontay Johnson as a much lower risk than a Kadarius Tony. Like, Tony said, oh, they, I'm not hurt. They don't want me playing. Like, Johnson's hey. biggest crimes in Pittsburgh are – being pissed at Mitch Trubisky, who sucks, and being pretty openly frustrated with Kenny and vouching for Mason Rudolph, with whom he scored points. I just think most of those problems go away when you are playing with the greatest quarterback of all time, potentially. It just seemed like there was a toxic nature to the Steelers' offense late in the season, and most of it came from out of the wide receivers' room, and they hired a coach. Well, wait a minute. Was it toxic because those guys were – hold on, because this is what frustrates me. Were they causing the toxicity, or was the lack of quarterback play, quality quarterback play, I don't causing blame, it? I don't blame Trubisky or Pickett for the lack of hustle plays and the way those guys acted in those games. It, it, it obviously was a reason why they did it, but that's still not reason enough to act. Okay, the way it doesn't did. excuse their behavior, but does their behavior happen if they are? For I'll just ask you this: Did you see any of that from them when Rudolph took over? Uh, no. In fact, you saw them doing the opposite. Johnson with a hustle play to act, an inadvertent one, but a hustle play to touch you the ball out of bounds. But, but, Pickens finishing But you blocks. don't think that Rudolph is going to be their starting quarterback this year, so what would lead you to believe that those behavioral issues would go away if you brought them both back? Well, that's why I would be open to trading Deontay Well, Johnson. that's why I'm saying I think I think these, these insiders are hinting at a Deontay Johnson trade because they know that – it's more likely than not that Pickett is their starting quarterback and that Johnson is going to want to put up numbers, and I don't and blame him do for it. this. And he probably won't do it Because he wants this to offense. get paid again. Yes. It's not going to happen in this offense, so he's not going to be a happy camper. Yeah, I, I'm not disputing any of that. I just The thing I am going to put just keep pushing back against is I'm not going to blame a receiver who, frankly, has more of a track record in this league than the quarterback who's going to likely be throwing him the ball if he's here next year for being frustrated by it. I'm just I'm not going to default to ah diva wide receiver being a diva wide receiver. What do you expect? They got some of the most inept quarterback play in the league for the majority yeah, of last but, season. But, but Johnson was Johnson was doing this stuff even went before Pickett took over as the quarterback. Was he doing it when Ben was here though? No. No, not really. He wasn't. Who is Ben most analogous? Who, which quarterback of Ben, Trubisky, Pickett, even Rudolph, is Patrick Mahomes most analogous to? Ben. Yeah. Because he's great. I just don't think that it would be a problem for him elsewhere. I think he would be, and to the discussion we're having, I think that makes him an attractive trade candidate and possibly worth more in a deal than otherwise would be expected. Well, even with the Brandon Cooks comp, which I'll, I'll concede the point, it's a good comp by you. Uh, I don't think the Steelers would trade him for that little. I think I think they would even put up with the potential um, difficulties of having him back for another year if that's all they could get for Johnson. I think in that scenario they would ride it out with him. But it's he didn't participate in any training camp stuff because he thought that he was going to get an extension from the Steelers, and he did. I don't see any way 
he gets another deal from this team. I would agree with that. Like, they're going to prioritize Fryermuth, I think. They're going to prioritize... Well, they're going to give Harris a fifth-year deal that's not going to come with any extension off of that, but Mason Rudolph even. I mean, I just... I don't see it very high on their list of priorities. No, I think they... No, I, I don't think it is. By the way... So he's uh, going to want to protect himself, just like he did last time. I, I don't, I, I I don't think it's going to... I don't think it's going to go over as well this summer is what I'm saying. I think he's going to get dealt. Uh, by the way, point of order, the Chiefs, when they acquired Tony, who was a first-round pick, of course, uh, by the Giants, the 100th pick, a third-rounder, so the 100th pick, and then a sixth-rounder. Yeah, I know, and I think that people will bring, who had Who had done nothing Well, that and point. I think people will bring up Chase Claypool and say, if you could get the, uh, the 32nd overall pick in the draft for Chase Claypool, why can't you get a second for Johnson? Because for as little as I think or we all think of Claypool, he was much younger, and there were there were more years left on the contract, and they were ch- there were cheap years. I think this he, is one year at ten million. I'll go on the record as well. They paid MVS eleven million. I mean, the only difference there is MVS when he actually catches the ball is a true deep threat. Deontay's more of a guy who's an underneath wiggle run after the catch. I will go on record as saying this: I think if he does get traded, and my gut's telling me that he will. The debate's going to end up being more about can they get either pick 64 or 95 and not can they even get 95 for him from the if it's to the Chiefs. All right. I so. mean, I just I, I put myself in a GM shoes. If my two options were I give up a third, a second or third round pick for Deontay Johnson and then keep him for a year and extend him or just ride him out as a rental, or I can not give up a pick and I can sign Tyler Boyd for like three years, $21 million or something like that, I'm going to – well, it'll be, it'll be more expensive what than if, that. Hold on, but though. you know what I mean. Hold on, though. If you're Brett Veach, what stops you from doing the following? Because it took Rashi Rice, who I think is going to be really good, a little while to, to accom- like assimilate into that offense and figure it out. What stops you from bringing in Deontay Johnson, who's probably turnkey, for one year, understanding that's what you're doing, drafting another receiver still, and then, hey, Johnson helps you three-peat. It's worth the squeeze. All right, the fan hotline is presented by Sullivan Super Service, Pittsburgh's trusted plumbing and HVAC provider for over 50 years. Steve Palazzolo, Pro Football Focus, joins us right now. Steve, Steelers insiders are hinting at a Deontay Johnson trade. What do you think they could reasonably get back for him in a deal? What are the insiders saying? Maybe a third at this point? I don't know. Halsey threw out there Johnson for the Chiefs' third-round pick. Yeah, I mean, I think a three is probably reasonable. I mean, the I like Deontay Johnson. I think he's a good player. It, you know, when they when they paid him the eighteen plus million, I was saying, okay, here's you know, he's a guy that forget the the, the the red zone or touchdown numbers. I know have been an issue, but he's a good route runner. He's not terribly explosive, big play threat. But he's a good receiver, you know. And I, I don't know if that's worth the eighteen plus in this market. So. Maybe a third sounds reasonable, but then yeah, then you've got work to do to to get the receiving core back up to back up to par. How is the free agent receiving pool? I like it at the top with guys that are potentially never going to hit the market, right? So T. Higgins probably going to get franchise tagged. Mike Evans, I think he'll hit the market, but that's going to be you know for teams really looking to win now, you know, on a you know for the next two or three years. I think that's where Evans is. I think Michael Pittman Jr. He's very good, but similar to Deontay Johnson and probably gets franchise tagged by Indianapolis. The thing that scares me about the receiver market is that next tier of receiver, the Gabe Davises and Darnell Mooney's of the world, I don't know if they're worth 
12 to 16 million or whatever the range potentially could be for those guys. But there might be, there might be deals to be had if you could get those guys in the eight to $10 million range where they become really good value. So I think it, it depends on how it shakes out the second tier of receiver over the last couple of years though, has scared me a little bit for how much you have to pay for those types of guys. Steve, I don't, I preface this question by saying I do not ask this flippantly or as a joke or to be sarcastic Say they do trade Deontay Johnson. What evidence do we have that a team where Arthur Smith is the offensive coordinator even needs to address receiver if they have one other guy left like a George Pickens? Because everything I read about Arthur Smith and think about his offense is you've got two running backs, you've got a tight end. You pretty much only need one receiver because that's all there's room for. So if you go back to the, the Titans years, um, when, I, when I'm talking about the free agent receivers and I'm talking about the, the second tier of receiver that gets paid, one of the guys who comes to mind was Corey Davis, who was on the Titans as the number two. Really nice compliment to A.J. Brown. He goes to the open market with the Jets and gets that $15, $16 million a year, whatever it was at the time. Um, they did have a good offense in Tennessee, made it to the AFC Championship. I know that's kind of what Arthur's hanging his hat on, but they rejuvenated Ryan Tannehill, and they did use the tight ends pretty well. They did feature A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry in those offenses, but the number two receiver was pretty important there. They did have to take pressure off those guys in the past game, and Corey Davis, I think, you know, had a couple decent seasons there with, with Arthur Smith. So um, I, I do think you need more than just the one. Um, it is nice having one elite receiver. You know, however you think of George Pickens as that guy, I'd still rather see more than just Pickens. But, yeah, that's where I would go back as far as Arthur Smith's offense goes. With, with the Titans, they did have a pretty solid number two in Corey Davis. Steve, it sounds more and more like the big-name quarterback is not going to come here. Obviously not Cousins. Field's going to get traded somewhere else. I'm going to give you six quarterback names to pair with Kenny Pickett. You tell me which one you like the best from the following list. Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy G, Gardner Minshew, Jacoby Brissett, Sam Darnold, Mason Rudolph. Oh, who were the second and third ones again? Tannehill, Tannehill Jimmy G, Gardner Minshew, yeah. Jacoby Brissett, Sam Darnold, Mason Rudolph. Jeez, I know, I know, Rudolph did nice, was nice down the stretch for the offense, but I'm not, I'm still not sold. I, I liked Mason Rudolph coming out, but I don't know. I, I don't. I think that was more coincidence than anything that the offense was all of a sudden a three game juggernaut. Um, I like Minshew as a backup. I think I would go Tannehill. I would maybe take the Tannehill shot, but oh, he might be cooked too. I hate this position. Do we have to do this every week? This is terrible. Well, I can I can ask you something about another position on the field if you'd like. I mean, along those lines, <laughs> no. Steve, do you do you think that the Steelers have the worst quarterback situation in the league? No, it's just it's just when you're in that middle ground and you don't have the, the top pick, right? And that, that's why last week I chose Mystery Box. You know, give me Bo Nix or give me Michael Penix just yep. because Kenny Pickett was Mystery Box a couple of years ago. And it's like, all right, we've, we've had two years. And if he's not the guy, fine, let's move on. I, it, that's why I just keep saying just, just keep drafting quarterbacks because you'll stumble into one at some point. Because you, just, you just don't want to be in this situation all the time. I'm joking about not having to answer this question, but it just shows how difficult it is when you don't have a legit game changer at QB because the goal isn't to just get a starter, right? Kenny Pickett could be a good, solid NFL starter, but even if he does that this year, do you really want just a starter? You want a game changer, and so you have to keep 
taken shots at finding the next game changer, or at least a guy who's a high-end QB on a rookie contract. More likely that the Steelers find true uh, slot value at pick 20 in the offensive tackle class or the cornerback class, Steve? I think both are pretty strong. The corner class has, what, five names or so that are getting talked about in the first round, maybe six. Um, I think because if you look at every mock draft, there's a lot of offensive players going in the top eight to ten picks. I think there's really good corner value potentially um, dependent on where the Quinion Mitchells from Toledo, where they fall, Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama, Nate Wiggins from Clemson, depending on where they fall. I like that corner class. I think the tackles, there's a chance that there's a bigger run on some of those guys, that they go in the top 10, top 15. So I would say corner at the moment looks like they'll, they'll be better value based off how the draft board they're shaking out right now. Steve Palazzolo, Pro Football Focus. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, Steve. I can't wait for more QB questions next week. I love you guys. It's 4.30 o'clock. It is time to stop blindly paying those increasing auto and home insurance premiums. Contact the Buell Insurance Agency in Gibsonia and see what they can do for you. It's also time for the Donnie Football Debrief. Take it away, Donnie. The Debrief, February 22. 2024 Jack Collinsworth is out as the voice of Notre Dame football Uh, this is according to Andrew Marshawn of the Athletic Uh, Jason Garrett will remain as the color commentator but the Fighting Irish and NBC are bringing back Dan Hicks who worked in that role I love that don't let the door hit you where the good lord split you Jack and it looks uh, like that's the only change to their college football uh, coverage on NBC. It'll be Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge again uh, after the rave reviews they got. It looks like Collinsworth will still do his sideline stuff with uh, Football Night in America and such as well. He he just was terrible on those broadcasts. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care. I actually am not sorry. You know what? If anyone thinks I'm being too hard on a guy who got his job in large measure because of who his dad is, Feel free, if I ever lose my job, to just dunk on me endlessly. Jack Collinsworth was underqualified, under-talented for the position that he was in. He didn't deserve to have the job. I'm glad he doesn't have that particular job anymore. And I don't even feel remotely bad about saying it. And it's got to be a big blow for him because he's a Notre Dame alum. I think both the Collinsworth Do you know how bad you have to suck at the job to be a Notre Dame alum and they don't even want to keep you on the broadcast? One of them played there, but I don't think it was Jack. I think it was his brother who was a safety about 10 years ago now. So from that standpoint, taking him off that assignment uh, that he's livid because he wants to call his alma mater's games, I wonder how Chris Collinsworth takes it. And it makes me think, is Collinsworth the elder, the dad, you know, how much longer is he going to be at NBC? You know, if, if Chris Collinsworth is seen as like their top analyst and someone that they want to have call their games until he's ready to retire 10 years from now, mm-hmm. I don't think they're, they're basically firing his son off of Notre Dame football games, even with the... Uh, he's you're right. There's I can't even say mediocre. He's just he was just not a play by play. He's dreadful. Guy. He was dreadful at the job uh, as a desk guy in all those roles. Pretty much dreadful. Well, well I think he's still going to do NFL like the the sideline show stuff. where he's talking before the game. Yeah. Okay. I'll just say this: If Chris Collinsworth suddenly wants to be done now, 
or or get a ramp here, an off-ramp? Is that... Wait a minute. Did somebody start hitting Greg Olson's music? I'd put Greg Olson with Tariko on Sunday Night Football in a heartbeat. So I would not be opposed to that. I still think that Chris Collinsworth is good, though. I think Chris Collinsworth's very good. I think I have said this. It's one of my most common Mulsey takes. The fact that virtually every fan base hates Chris Collinsworth and thinks he hates their favorite team is proof positive that he is good at his job. If everyone hates you, it's because you're probably telling the truth about their team, good or bad. And if he wants to be done, they'll be losing a good analyst. They can replace him with one of the few guys who I think is is as good or better in Greg Olson. I think that's how good Olson's been. And Tariko would be a perfect foil for Olson. Because Tariko can joke around a little bit, but he's largely about, hey, I'm Mike Tariko and I'm calling one of like what is now at worst the second biggest game on every week's schedule. Because now Aikman and Buck have given that cachet to Monday night ball again. But like that's Sunday night football is a huge bleeping deal. So put Tariko with a guy who's all business. Because Collinsworth would try to joke around, but he loved to analyze. He was a serious analyst. Put him with a guy that's also a serious analyst and let Greg Olson shine. I wonder if most weeks Sunday Night Football does a better rating than, I think it does. than the top 425 game. I think it does. I think Sunday Night Football is usually the most like the most watched thing of the week. I'm all, Donnie, you can check that probably pretty easily, but I'm almost positive Sunday Night Football does huge monster numbers. Well, you still have other games going off at 4 o'clock too, which That's the other thing. The, the 425 game, it isn't the only one. So the top 425 game that's getting that, na- it's still not getting usually that full national audience. There's usually at least one other game that's being shown in two other cities. Yeah, the one thing, though, that uh, Sunday Night Football runs into, though, is that East Coast audience, not all of them hang around for the entire game, whereas you start a game at 425 and people are watching the whole thing. Yeah, Collinsworth stinks. I'm happy that they, uh, not, not, let me just say this too, though. It's not like Jason Garrett's, uh, making anybody close their eyes and think they're listening to John Madden no, I don't when think, he's doing their games. I don't think Jason Garrett's very good, but I think Jason Garrett looks a damn side better when you're comparing him to Jack Collinsworth. I don't know, man. Like You not, you don't hear me going on and on about nepotism with Noah Eagle because I think Noah Eagle's excellent already at the job. I'm a little bit surprised that Donnie didn't uh, go with the new NCAA football 2025 news that came out today. Each player getting six hundred bucks. Yeah, I thought game. about that one. That was that was the second option. Six hundred bucks. That's it. And a free copy of the game. And a free copy. That enough? No. I don't think but so. But they but all one hundred and thirty four schools but I feel like there's room are for in it the to game. Grow. Yeah. And every single think so about 600, it. So six hundred so you're the third How much money is EA Sports spending for this? So each team has how many guys? Hundred plus, like some colleges probably roster. I don't think they'll put. I don't think they'll put walk-ons on the game. They'll probably have it. I don't know. Think about that though. But if you play for the team, are you not then on the team? I mean, you. I don't remember the old college football games, 10, 15 years ago having. Let's just set you know, it at six a, quarterbacks. Okay, let's set it at a roster. raw number. Man, imagine that blow at, to the confidence. Like you're all excited to get this game. You check it, and you're just not on the roster. You're not okay, on there. Then let's let's cap it at how about this? Ninety players per team. All right, just for argument's sake, because aren't scholarships usually in the high eighties? Yeah, well, that's twelve thousand players. So 90, 90 12,000 players at six hundred a pop. What's twelve thousand times six? That's over seven million dollars. You know what, though? When you think about it, it's still not that much money for EA Sports. 
It really, I, let's be honest here, man. If that game sells like anyone has an inkling it might sell, they're going to make just an ungodly amount of money. See, off I have of it. no, I have no um, context for how much money they make off a video game. Okay, so like uh, all people do is complain about Madden now. Does that okay. mean it doesn't make any Hold money on. anymore? I'm just going to humor me here. I'm not using a perfect comparison because this is one of the most popular video games of all time, but this is going to be one of the most anticipated sports video games ever released. Would you agree? Yep. Grand Theft Auto V, across all platforms, has sold, as of November of this past year of 23, 190 million copies. And what's the at the outset, it was going off at probably 60 bucks a rip, maybe 70. Wow. Special editions, you might have been making more. You, they made, Rockstar probably cleared well over a half billion dollars in profit from that game. Forget about what it cost them to make the game. And they sell online stuff, which you can always, like, you can always ding people for little online patches, even to a sports game. Like, little, on, there could be little, like, in-game purchases. I, I don't understand the appeal of those, but people who play games a lot more than I do seem to. I'm just thinking, too. Oh, pay us $5, and suddenly a I'm, booster's going to cough up $2 million well, to keep the quarterback I'm and just, star receiver. I'm just thinking, if I'm trying to think of a player who's in college football next year, who's not going to the NFL, who's still a reasonably big uh, name player. But if you're a star player and you're only getting 600 bucks, can you say no? I don't want to take the money. Leave my name out of the game. No, I think it's better for you that your name's in the game, right? No, but I'm saying if you thought you were getting lowballed and you didn't want the 600 bucks and you tried to... Oh, negotiate outside that. Yeah, and you said, you know what, don't put me in the game then. What do they do? They just replace you with a generic QBs, guy? QBs, well, well, they do what Tecmo Super Bowl did for that QB NES. You be QB whatever your number is. But wait, with the... But if it, it can't have your likeness. likeness. Yeah, you're right. The likeness part of this gets very weighty. Name, image, and then likeness. So do they have to That's do... That's how they got in trouble in the first place. Man. That O'Bannon. So I actually... Hold on. I think I think I know how this worked in the one game uh, that had a famous player who did not want to be uh, used. Yep. All right. In MVP Baseball 2005. This is John, John Dowd. Dowd. This is the Barry Bonds. <laughs> I knew you two psychos as yeah. soon as I remember what game. They had Barry Bonds. Was not in the union. Was not in the union. Did not, so could not be included in the game. They made from now. I'm looking at this. Correct me if I'm wrong. A white right-handed hitter, yeah. with all of Barry Bonds' stats, wearing number 51, and named him John Dowd. Like, yep. If Quinn Ewers says to them, "I don't want 600 bucks in a game. I want more," they just say, "Okay, we'll replace you with so do, a so, generic player." So they do they do the same thing that like MVP baseball did, which was you go the complete opposite. So it would be a black quarterback for Texas with just a completely random name that is not anyone else in college football's name, and you give them all of Quinn Ewers' stats and make them a, a lefty, I guess, You can't right? even give them all the stats. No, well... Because that's still back to the likeness thing, Chris. But couldn't that be a very subjective thing? Like, would, how would anybody know this is what you were going to rate Quinn Ewers? The show talking about Kyle Dubas and his comments on the state of the Penguins. You can go back and listen to that. Plus, we uh, weighed in on Mitch Keller and his new deal. That's all up on our podcast page. You can use the rewind function to hear that. 50-minute mark is brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Dodge Sheep Ram and Peters. Ray Fittipaldo going to join us in about uh, 30 minutes, Steelers insider. Terry Bradshaw on Rich Eisen. This just came down. Bradshaw 
the latest to comment on the Steelers' quarterback situation. Uh, Rich Eisen, friend of Mike Tomlin, Terry Bradshaw, has said some pretty pointed things about Mike Tomlin in the past, so we'll see how that plays out in this uh, back and forth here as the two discussed what the Steelers' quarterback situation should be for 2024. He's, i tell you what, Rich, I know him. I know him well, and he's fiercely competitive. He's he's extreme, he's tough-minded kid. Uh, things don't bother him. Uh, I really like him a lot. Look, I'm going to say this for the 10,000th time this year. Surround not only Kenny, but any of these young quarterbacks, the kid and, uh, with the Bears, um, surround them with talent. Uh why is Purdy successful with the 49ers, Rich? Look at all that talent and look at that coach calling plays. And that kid's got the poise. Kenny has the poise. I, I just want my quarterback to be poised. All right? I just want him poised. If he's poised, then his brain's going to be calm. He's going to see the coverages. He's going to be quick with his decision-making. And Pickett has all of that. They're going to beat him up, and they're going to want to trade for Fields in Chicago. And I say that's a huge mistake. You don't need Fields. Stay with what you got. Uh, just build him up. Get him another receiver. Get him an explosive tight end. Get him, give, him three, give him another tackle. Give him a guard. You know, have the ability to protect him, and then give him give him guys on the outside. This is the passing league now. Give him people out there that can run and catch the football and that are smart. He's, he's fine. That's their guy. They're probably going to be a lot of negative about it, but that's the guy I would go with. Yeah, I mean, Arthur Smith, too, being brought in to be the OC. I yeah, like that. I like that. Exactly. Right? So do I. You know, Arthur was one game away from staying in Atlanta, mm, you know? That's right. That was a heartbreaker for him. He's I a good know. dude. Yeah, so good you, guy. Terry Bradshaw, didn't didn't we have a clip of him saying he had zero respect for Arthur Smith at the end of the year because of what he did with Desmond Ritter? Or am I hallucinating on that? He's done a very quick 180 on Smith because I know he was pissed with the way he handled the Ritter situation. So I, um, I yeah, he hold on. It's um, I think he said something like Arthur Smith let down. Yeah, let oh, Desmond let's Ritter hear down. Ritter, he was told after week eight, you're my quarterback the rest of the year. I'm not going to bench you. You're my man. Arthur Smith, the head coach, said, not going to bench you. What did he do? Someone upstairs said, if you don't win out this year, you're going to lose your job, Arthur Smith. And he benched him. So I have no respect for Arthur Smith. Mess with that young quarterback, Desmond Ritter, like that. You set him back. Play the young man. Leave him alone. Don't lie to him. And he lied to him. And he needs to get his butt whooped. He needs to get his butt whooped. And now, a month later, he's saying, I like Arthur Smith, after saying I have no respect for Arthur Smith. I have, uh, well, I'll let you start. Well, I was just going to say, look, I'm not saying that Terry Bradshaw doesn't know quarterbacks, because he clearly does. He's got four rings on his fingers to back that up. He's got two Super Bowl MVPs. He's got a regular season MVP. He's probably one of the 10 or 12 best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. He's been paid a lot of money for the last... 40 years to go on TV and talk about quarterback play. But I can't help but think his experience here in Pittsburgh and the way he claims he was traumatized by the whole thing with Noel and being jerked in and out of the lineup and eventually, after being benched several times, becoming that Hall of Fame quarterback. I just think he's very empathetic to guys who struggle early in their career and wants teams to express extreme patience with those players. So that's where I think 
Like, do I think he actually feels that way about Pickett? Where Pickett has poise, he's he fine. said a bunch of things he's about the guy. He said a bunch of things about Kenny that it, the actual truth has been the total opposite. He hasn't been poised. He's bailed quickly. It's been the biggest problem. He can't really read defenses right now at this level. It's pretty obvious. Uh, my my bigger I get I agree with what you said there about how Terry probably has empathy. He got battered around. I also think in some ways it's easier to play quarterback now than it was when Terry played because Terry called his own plays. He got beat up physically. The rules were different. The rules were not as protective of quarterbacks. Now schemes I think are pretty complicated relative to what they might have been. Defenses have gotten more complicated pre-snap. All of that I think is true. My his solution for getting Kenny Pickett to succeed though is just wild. It's basically go out and have the 1974 draft again. Surround, they've surrounded him with the following. A second-round receiver in Pickens, who a lot of people thought was the most talented guy in his draft class at the position. A second-round receiver in Fryermuth, A first-round running back in Harris. He's got a guy in Deontay that he inherited when he came into the league. Deontay had been here, who had already had a 1,000-yard season to his credit. He has a first-round tackle that's actually playing out of position. They spent money in the interior of the offensive line, first with Daniels, then with Sayamalu, right? They're Yes, they need a center. They need another tackle. What else are they supposed to do for him? Well, he, he basically listed almost every position on the offense except for running back and said, get him more of this, and then he'll thrive. The quarterback, because the rules make it easier to play the position or because the rules safeguard that player's physical health more in theory – I think is supposed to be the force multiplier. It's get a quarterback and then you can skimp on certain parts of your offense because they'll make it better. He's just saying, no, make sure Kenny's surrounded with the closest thing to an all-star team you can give him, and then this should work out. Well, the, the, but when he's on a rookie contract, you should be able to surround him with better players while he's still in his early 20s. Burrow had Higgins, Chase, and Boyd, plus Joe Mixon, plus first-round pick offensive linemen. Uh, they went out and they brought in uh, Karras. They paid him a lot of money. Like yeah, they had they, Jonah Williams. They there. made moves uh, because they were paying their quarterback, even though he was the number one pick, not a lot of money. So you can do that, and I, I thought that the Steelers were going to do that uh, successfully when they when they drafted Kenny. And uh, but they have started trying to draft players around well, him to help him. It's well, not like they haven't done it with early picks. The second part of what. Uh, Bradshaw said was about the coach calling plays, and that gets back to Canada. And that's also, I think, a widely held opinion by people that are still really sold on Pickett. Like, just get him the right coach, and things are going to get better. Look, I still think there's a chance that Pickett turns into a good quarterback. I don't think that it's impossible. I, I do, I do th- like. Yeah, he looked like crap for a lot of this past year, but there were poi- there there was poise in big moments, and that's the thing that I just keep coming back to. Like I don't understand how it was so, it came so easily, and Kenny looked so smooth for fourth quarter drives and fourth quarter comebacks, but looked like complete garbage for the first half of games. I think it's a, I think there's a pretty clear explanation. When you're in those situations, it's like complete the first pass, and in many ways you get the defense on their heels. You're playing in the flow of the game. We have heard every single player who has talked about what those two-minute drills are like. This is a conversation, by the way, that's not even unique to Kenny. We used to talk about it with Roethlisberger. Let him go two-minute all the time. Remember that? Yeah, Let him go no huddle. And even like guys like Arthur Motes would come in the studio and say to us, 
Yes, it sounds nice to say that as a fan, but it is just an impractical way to do business. It just it eventually runs out. And if you start throwing in completions or the defense can adjust and you're not right. constantly succeeding, then you're going to find these right. possessions go up in smoke quickly. But I'm not even talking about situations in games where they're in two minute the entire time. The Rams' second half is not where they're in a no-huddle offense for 30 minutes trying to race against the clock to come back and win. He just looked like a different human being in the third and fourth quarters of that game. He looked better, but they all and they ran the ball really well in that game, especially in the fourth quarter. But like, how many other like truly how many examples do you have of that? The Bengals game the, after Canada, I get it. He looked better. He had a touchdown dropped. We don't have to rehash the same stuff. He looked better. I would even I would even tell you that as a guy who doesn't really think that it's there at all and that there's a real chance he gets better. But there aren't too many examples in 24 career starts of what you're describing. We just named two of them. How many more are there for, for like a real span of time in a game that's not a situational span? There's those two for sure. No one argues that. The Raiders game, the Raiders kind of suck. But, like, he hit Austin on a deep shot. Well, at the end of the year, they were the only team that stopped Mahomes, but I get what you're saying. I mean, they were coached he had a de- defensively he had a by solid, the same people. He had a solid game, although even that one, in retrospect, feels like he hits that big, big play early, and then things get kind of dodgy a well, little bit. They had a bit. big drive where he had the Friermuth touchdown pass in the second half. Okay. There. I get memory banks, right? There should be obvious examples of it. There should be, oh, yeah, there's this time and this time and this time and that time where he did these things. You have to go back and comb through and pick through, wait, did that happen in that game? Oh, yeah, I guess he was pretty good there. There hasn't been a steady run of it. There just has not been. Well, I do think a lot of it is the coaching has been bad. I, 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 I do believe that if Kenny had been drafted into another system with a different coach, his career right now would look a lot different. I my thing with I don't him think he would have the lowest touchdown rate in he, the history of the NFL better. through – 24 starts. He'd probably look better, but I think it's only in a matter of degree. I, can a different coach convince him to stay in the pocket? I just think so many of his problems are derived from and coaching can fix some of this from a lack of like awareness, maybe not reading things quick enough. If you have a coach who gives him a very easy and routinely open first read, I'm sure he would look different. Drop back, hit drop, hit my back, step on my drop, see throw, like hit throw. Like preseason, Kenny. Yeah, but, I mean, doesn't that stand to reason that that is the problem? When you're in the preseason, what do we always hear about vanilla, uh, defenses? They're vanilla. They're no basic. One's, no one's trying to show you what they're going to show you. They're just putting a defense out there and saying, okay, we are playing either a 3-4 or a 4-3. We are playing man-to-man. We are playing our most basic zone. There are no tricks here. What you see pre-snap is actually what you get. Because you're trying to evaluate whether a player can like do the basic things, tackle in space, run a good route, throw a good ball. That... The one part of that that doesn't apply in the regular season is the quarterback's angle. He's got to do way more the minute those games start getting real. I I think that Kenny is a quarterback, stylistically, who appeals to a lot of old-school football people. So when Bradshaw says he's a tough-minded kid, you know, I've met him or I've talked to him. I know how he's wired. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Those things. And then you say that, you know, Terry didn't mention this, but a lot of – the pro Kenny people will say, and look at his record. He finds a way to win games. You know, they like the moxie part of him. They like the fact that he's a battler, that he's are you a all, football player. Are you at all surprised? Like a lot of the things that I – I saw those qualities in his rookie year, but then I thought he was going to uh, expand on those and build off of those his second season, and it didn't happen. 
and I'm allowing for the possibility that in Smith's offense, he will look better. But my issue is I just don't want to put all my eggs in that basket like Terry Bradshaw does and like other people do. I don't want to just make the full-on 100% commitment to him because I do think that there's an equal chance, if not a greater chance, that he doesn't figure those things out this year, even with a new offensive coordinator. i got to go back to the whole he's, he's tough-minded maybe. Um, he's a tough kid. I think they like there's a there's an innate toughness that they set guys like Terry might sense about him. Is that even true? Like, what would a Terry Bradshaw think if a guy doesn't finish the game in Houston and like two days later, when we're wondering if he's got torn ligaments in his knee, says, oh, "By the way, I'm go- I'm good. I'm playing." Well, I wonder. Patrick Mahomes is tougher. Guys like that are, are I mean, have shown much more demonstrable, obvious he, physical toughness. He might look at the way he handled the thing the thing with Rudolph at the end of the year as a positive because he was so pissed about it, and that shows you what a competitor he is. I don't know. It's a good question. Competitiveness doesn't matter a whole lot if you don't actually deliver with performance on the back end. It's great to be hyper-competitive. I'll take, like, Patrick Mahomes, hyper-competitive guy. Brady, hyper-competitive. Ben didn't put in the first in, last out work, but he was super competitive on the field. I would say that. I don't think you'd be crazy not to. The guy wanted to win more. Yeah, than he he's wanted an to... ultimate competitor yes. type. Yes. I mean, and he, again, we've had fun with it, but Ben played through real obvious pain on the field, too. Yep. I just... I, and, it, and you know what? When I do this, then it sounds like you're just piling on. You hate the guy. No, I find the defenses of him from people who do know more about football than I do confounding when I consider the actual visual evidence. Donnie, let me hear the first part of that Bradshaw, Bradshaw defensive picket again. Well, Come on, Terry. i tell you what, Rich. I know him. I know him well. And he's fiercely competitive. He's... He's extreme. He's tough-minded kid. Uh, things don't bother him. Uh, I really like him a lot. Look, I'm gonna say this for the ten thousandth right time. Stop it right there. I just wanted to hear the very beginning of that again. What he started with—that's exactly the way I got uh, hypnotized and entranced to be such a big-time picket supporter. You get to know him. You hear him talk. He's so committed to his craft. He takes it so seriously. He is maniacal about things. He eats, he drinks, he breathes football. When you're around somebody like that, you think that 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 approach to their job is going to make them successful. And so when you're friends with somebody or when you have a relationship with somebody like that, you want to buy stock in them. You want to get behind them. You want to believe in them. It's easy to do. It's well, also easy to twist attitude. potential negatives into positives, right. like being so, being obviously mad. I think we can all just say that. Mad that he wasn't the starter at the end of the season gets twisted into he's so competitive. Here's the problem, just to interject for a second. You say all those things. Now, I don't. you didn't know this guy. I don't really know the guy. The guy's whole career has been like he's very polished, and so it's hard to get really into the inner circle. All of those intangible qualities, eats his sport, drinks his sport, sleeps his sport, takes care of himself, is hyper-disciplined, is upset to the point of obsession about improving his game year after year, apply to Sidney Crosby in every way, shape, and form. The hardest working athlete I think I've ever seen. There is a massive difference, however. He went number one overall because everyone knew that all of those gifts that he had, uh, those intangible gifts, were matched by prodigious talent. Kenny Pickett, at the most valuable position in the sport, went 20th. 
well, in a draft class. Well, look at the people that are doubling down and tripling down on him. You know, it's the Steelers because they saw Matt Pitt. He was right next door. They got a chance to know him and see a side of him that the other 31 teams, they don't have that opportunity. They talk to him like next week at the Combine or at Senior Day or at the Pro Bowl or whatever else. Uh, personal visit, guy flies out to the team, meets with them. It's not the same thing as being around the guy or close to the guy every day. It's an object lesson, though, I think, in not getting too close or getting suckered into your own like overwhelmingly close-minded evaluation. Isn't this why whenever – I mean, I'm, I'm making a wild leap here. But, like, it's like one of those crime shows whenever the next-door neighbor is revealed to have been, like, some sort of hideous monster. <laughs> it's like, wow, we didn't think that. I mean, Jim was such a nice guy. I mean, he was just a regular well, and, dude. And compare that. Because we got to know him so and, well. And contrast what, he, what Bradshaw said about Pickett to the way he used to talk about Ben early in his career. He used to murder the guy. You know, a lot of it was off-the-field stuff, but he'd say things like, I've got no personal relationship with Ben. I've got, you yeah, know, because, we've got no friendship whatsoever. Yeah. I, 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 That's because Ben probably didn't kiss his ring. You know what I mean? Ben didn't kiss his ass. And Ben didn't endure any early career hardships on the field. It was instant success. Right, rookie of the year, right from the very beginning. And win every game until the AFC Championship game. Win the Super Bowl in year two. I, I just, man, I just get very tired of, like, you can, you can want an athlete to have all those attributes Terry's talking about, but it shouldn't be your only way of judging a person, and unfortunately that seems to be what Mike and Kevin and everybody else involved with making the pick, Art as well, all decided the, to, to hang their hat the on. The number one thing that I heard there from that, from Bradshaw that I'm surprised to hear him say, though, is he thinks he wa he watched the guy play and he thought he saw poise last year. I saw the opposite in almost every, like, in the, and I shouldn't say almost every, in the clear majority of situations I saw the opposite of poise. All right, let's talk with Steelers insider Ray Fittipaldo. The Combine is next week. That'll be a big week. There's some uh, in the media that are expecting that's when the Justin Fields trade will happen, although the odds makers now think Atlanta will be Fields' next team and not Pittsburgh. Uh, Jerry Dulac in his chat yesterday thought that there was merit to a Deontay Johnson trade. Brian Batko on his Post-Gazette podcast Still thinks that there's a possibility that happens. So that's two of the Post-Gazette Steelers beat writers. Let's see if they can make it a hat trick here with Ray Fittipaldo. Ray, what do you think of the Johnson trade thing? Chris off the air said he thinks it's about 50-50 Johnson gets traded. Do you agree with that? Two out of three ain't bad. Let's put it that way. I just, guys, I just don't know who's going to play receiver if you trade Deontay Johnson. Um, they're not deep there. Calvin Austin hasn't shown enough, and the Steelers have never been a team that goes into any season counting on a rookie at any position. So I just don't see how it adds up. I think you just play it out with Deontay um, in his final season of his contract, see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see a trade happening at this point, given the lack of depth behind him and George Pickens. Do you think there's any – I mean, I'm not going to say a first-round pick, but do you think there's a high enough, like, second-round pick or something like that that could change their minds, Ray, uh, and they just say that's too good of an offer draft capital-wise to pass up? We've got to try to make this move. Okay, so let's say let's say it's pick number 40. Yeah. If you're – okay, so if you're trading pick number 40 in the draft, you're pretty much going to have to do a sign-and-trade. Like, you're going to – 
have to come to terms with the agent before you make that deal and say, hey, we're going to sign you. These are the numbers. And you would have to have that wink and nod because you're not going to take on that contract that Deontay has for one year. I think it's it's fairly reasonable. I, you know, I think it's like $15 million a year, whatever it is. But you're not going to give away a second-round pick for Deontay Johnson for one season. I don't think. Unless, unless yeah. you're a team that really thinks he's going to put you over the top, like maybe the Kansas City Chiefs would do that. But, you know, you'd be getting pick number 61 or 62, whatever. So that's that's kind of where I am right now. I, I just think there's a lot of um, things that go into that equation that might not be as simple as people think. Ray, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but not only do you think the Steelers will sign Ryan Tannehill, I get the sense you think it's a good idea. Yeah, I do think it's a good idea. What about it do you like from that perspective then? Uh, I just like the fact that um, he's been around Arthur Smith. I think he can not only help Kenny Pickett learn the offense, but I think he could be a sounding board for everyone in that room, receivers, tight ends, running backs. Um, I I think he'd, he'd be a good source of information for how Arthur Smith approaches offense. So, um, you know, I think that's one reason. And I think the other reason is if for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or whether it's um, substandard play, you would have a veteran in place who knows how to run that offense. And I, I just think that's very important in this this kind of um, uh, very important year for, for the quarterbacks, right? I mean, you, you want to find out about Kenny Pickett, but if something happens there, you want to have somebody to fall back on who can run that offense and still help you um, compete for a playoff spot. So um, I, I just think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, I, it's going to be a huge topic out in Indy next week. I'm sure Omar's going to you know, dance around it, but um, we're going to know one way or the other in about three weeks once free agency starts and uh, all these pieces start falling into place. Ray, do you think there's a better chance today that Mason Rudolph is back on the roster or that it is another quarterback like Ryan Tannehill? I think another quarterback like Ryan Tannehill. And it's not it's nothing against Mason and what he did last year. I I just think we, we've turned the page here. And, um, you know, I, I think Mason could still come back, but I think when you bring in a no, new OC, you bring in a new quarterback's coach, it's a different system. Not everything is going to be the same. Like There was a lot of similarities between – Randy Feekner, and then Matt Canada, a lot of stuff. Um, there were changes, but it wasn't like it was a complete, um, you know, 180 from what they were doing. And I think Arthur Smith's offense is different enough that, uh, you know, they might want to go in a different direction there. But, again, it's nothing against Mason. I think that guy made himself a lot of money um, at the end of last season. He's going to land somewhere on his feet if he's not back here in Pittsburgh. But I, I just think we're – in a new era here, and I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think it would be bad to, to change out, uh, you know, two of your three quarterbacks. Ray, uh, Rich Eisen had Terry Bradshaw on his show, asked him about the Steelers' quarterback situation and specifically Kenny Pickett. Terry Bradshaw said they shouldn't trade for Fields, bad idea, and opined that they merely need to surround Kenny Pickett with more help, better tackle, tight end, wide receiver, guard he even named. 
And then he said this guy's shown poise and he'll, do, he'll be just fine if you surround him with the right pieces and help him. How do you feel the Steelers have done when it, as it pertains to surrounding Kenny Pickett with good pieces thus far in his career? I mean, that's what they've done in the draft since 2021. And it was, it was started before Kenny was even in place, um, you know, with Najee Harris and uh, Pat Fryermuth for one year. And then you get Pickens the, in, in the second round after you pick Pickett. And then you, you shore up the offensive line last year with, with Briar Rick Jones. So it would be great if they can continue to do that. They certainly need the help. They need a center. They need a right tackle. They could use a solid number three who could develop beyond that. But, and we've talked about this in the past, they haven't drafted defense in the first round since Devin Bush in 2019. Eventually, guys, you got to start replenishing that side of the ball as well. they got to continue to get younger at corner, on the defensive line, pretty much everywhere on that defense too. So I, I agree with Bradshaw. It would be great if they could swing it, and maybe they can. You know, maybe – Free agency, you 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 um you know make a few signings on defense and some of those things we just talked about don't become draft priorities. But you know as things stand right now, I think there are other places um, that they could go, and specifically on defense instead of continuing to spend your draft capital on offensive players. Ray, I want to go back to Mason Rudolph for a second because I know Jerry has written a few times now. And I, 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 you haven't said anything to the contrary in what you've written, that the Steelers want Mason Rudolph back. They want yeah. him back. So yeah. if they want him back, then why won't he be back? Well, it, that would be Mason's choice. He's about to hit free agency. Um, the, the, the first time he could have hit free agency, he sort of signed that, that $5 million deal that kept him in place for one more year. And then his, his trek through free agency last year was just, it was bad. And I, I think he finally wants to find out what he's worth. Um, and let's look at this from Mason's perspective. Knowing what Mike said to the public, and I don't know what was said to Mason on his, his exit interview, but if this is truly a year when they do want to find out about Kenny Pickett, where is the potential growth for Mason Rudolph unless there's an injury or unless Kenny loses that job. So, you know, Mason might look around at other situations. There might be one that's more attractive for him. And, um, again, you know, spending six, six seasons in one city is good. I could definitely see that continuing, but sometimes it's good for the other party to, to move on and maybe have their, their career, um, uh, you know, boosted in a different city. So it's it's all about perspective here. But um, I, I do think if Mason wants to come back, I think the Sears will gladly have him back. Yes. Would they rather have him than Ryan Tannehill then? You know, um, I think Arthur Smith would probably rather have Ryan Tannehill, but maybe some others in that building um, you know, might, you know, might be more familiar with, with Mason Rudolph. Um, so that's going to be an interesting dynamic, guys. As, as we get closer to free agency, you know, Omar Khan's going to be talking to Mike Tomlin and his staff. I'm sure Arthur will be out there at the Combine for a couple of days, and all those things will be discussed. And if Arthur feels really strongly 
if he wants Ryan Tannehill here, um, I, I think they would listen to that. And if, if obviously, if the money is right too, but um, you know, we've seen them allow him to get some some pieces in place on his staff. You know, four or five hires that you know have his name on it. So I would not be surprised at all if the backup quarterback Ray, just, or the number I, three quarterback I, I keep, had his name on it. I keep seeing they they want him. They want him. I have a hard time believing that Tomlin actually wants him back. I really do. Based on the way he's treated him in the past, because yeah, yeah, I and mean, he doesn't I, he doesn't meet he doesn't meet his his traits in a quarterback are not what he's talked about right. for the last two years, right. demanding or desiring in the position either. Well, nor nor does Arthur he meet Arthur, Arthur Smith's criteria. Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, right. well, all those guys can move. Exactly. So, but that's why I'm skeptical they, of this whole idea that they want him back. But did Mason change Mike's mind in the final four games of the season? That's what really you have to think about. But, uh, yeah, if you're talking strictly from what Mike wants and from the way Arthur operates, um, the mobile quarterback, the guy who can move a little bit, uh, yeah, you're reading that uh, 100% right. Hey, Ray, I, I know this guy doesn't have a say in it or he shouldn't have a say in it. Who do you think Kenny Pickett would rather have backing him up this year, Tannehill or Rudolph? I think you always want the familiarity, and I think there's, you know, the Mason and, and Kenny, and even you know when, when Mitch was here, all those guys got along really well. You know, they all speak highly of each other in that room. So I, you know, if you ask Kenny right now off the record, I'm sure he'd tell you Mason, but he probably doesn't even know Ryan Tannehill, or if he does, you know, it's just um, you know in passing. So um, again, sometimes it's good to have a shakeup in, in a position room. New ideas come in. I think we saw that with the offensive line last year. And, again, I don't know if it would be a bad idea if that happened in the quarterback room either. I guess my other, my biggest point when we're talking about this sort of thing is you and I shouldn't have to sit here, not even to make the case for him, but just to bring up examples. Uh, for the team that traded for him, I didn't think the guy. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this. Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. 
That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.